right, everyone. Good evening. Be'ezus Hashem, next week we're going to begin um, continuing studying on the Parsha. But being that we were studying during the month of Elul and into the month of Tishrei, we were learning in the Thursday night class, we were learning the Egeris Tshuva, the portal of Tshuva from the Altar Rebbe. And we almost completed. So I would like to do that and complete that tonight. Um, you're going to say, what's now important Tshuva? Um, we just finished with that. We're over. Now we're already, uh, we're all, um, you call it, we're all, we're all already clean and already, you know, we're done with it already. So why do we talk about Tshuva to this week? So aside for the idea that we want to finish something, so it should be completed, but we know that the, there's a story that the, um, the previous Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, went into his father a day after Yom Kippur. His father was the Rebbe then, the Rebbe Rashab. And he asked him, so what's now? This was a day after Yom Kippur. So what's now? So he said, oh, now we really have to do tshuva. In other words, uh, tshuva is not something that you do and you're done with. There's a yid, uh, a good Jew who comes over here. His name is Rabbi Astulin. For he's a happy Jew. Anyways, his father, Rabbi Astulin's father, Rabbi Zalman Leib Astulin, was a real Hasidish Jew, a real huge Talmud Chacham, very great man. So he was traveling once in Israel, he was on a bus, and he sat down next to someone, another, and he got into a conversation with the guy, and he asked him, so who are you, whatever? And the guy said so proudly, uh, what do you mean, I'm a Baal Tshuva. So he looks at him, and he says, you know, all my life I'm trying to do tshuva. And you're a Baal Tshuva already? You're done? <laughs> and Hasidus, there's no such a thing as a Baal Tshuva, you're done already, you did it. The moment you feel you did it, you're nowhere. You constantly have to break out of who you are. Because Tshuva means returning to Hashem, and Hashem is infinite. And the moment one gets comfortable in their existence, in their state, in their achievements, and who they are, and their attainments, then you're not connected to Hashem. Hashem is to be found in the breaking of yourself to reach somewhere else. That's where God is. Every time you're pushing yourself beyond who you are, that's where you connect to Hashem. So you can have someone on a much, 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 much higher level. A person who has attained even prophecy. Ruach HaKodesh. Talking about Ruach HaKodesh and prophecy. Uh-huh. He's made it. This guy made it. That person who's made it, but if he's comfortable and he stops and he says, this is who I am, the moment he settles into his vessels, into his container, and he says who he is, and this person is a beginner. He just started today. He's learning Aleph bit. He's learning the Aleph base. He's the first day he shows up to Hebrew school. He doesn't know anything. This guy is connecting to God much more than the prophet. Because once the prophet settles into his, into his, into himself and says, oh, then he has gone into limitation, gone into being who he is. And God is not defined by any beingness. But even if you're holding by nothing, 
but you want to push yourself beyond yourself. And you take a step to go out of your comfort zone, whatever you're comfortable with, and you push yourself beyond that, which is the notion of tshuva. Tshuva is to get away from who you were yesterday, to move to a better place. That's tshuva. The moment you're pushing, even if you're just learning an aleph and you don't even know a bet yet, you don't even know a bez, you just started with the aleph, you're, at that moment when you're pushing out from who you are and trying, at that moment you've gone beyond your limitations, beyond your boundaries, you're touching the infinite. So this guy can be on the gazillionth level, but if he's comfortable and he's happy and satisfied where, where, where he is, the moment he settles down, he's, he's completely disconnected from Hashem. The other guy is completely connected because he's pushing out. So it's precisely this week that we just finished Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and Sukkot and Simchas Torah. And we want to sit back and relax and say, ah, now we really have to learn a Geras HaTshuva, a letter about Tshuva. Um, we are, and that's really, really Tshuva is really the theme of Parshas Noach, even though this is again not a Parsha class tonight. We're going to finish the last parak, but um, yet it's connected to the Parsha. It cannot be that we're doing something over here and it's not connected. It's always connected. Hashem always helps that we're connected. So Parshas Noach actually is very seriously connected Parshas Noach actually is very seriously connected to, um, to tshuva. Because we know Noach, it says, Noach is the idea of Shabbos. Noach and Shabbos is the same thing. Because Noach means to rest. And Shabbos means to rest. Lishboiz, lanuach, to rest. So Noach and Shabbos is the same thing. But, we, and we learned in the last chapter, in Perik Yud, that Shabbos is a time of tshuva. Shabbos, the letters of Shabbos is Toshev. You take Shabbos, the different letters, Shabbos is a tshuva. It's not, it's a tshuva of the, all of existence is in a state of tshuva. Everything is going back to its source. And we have to join along in that return as we all pick ourselves up and get closer to our source on Shabbos. Comes out that if Noach is Shabbos and Shabbos is tshuva, so what's Noach? Noach is tshuva. And we really can see because the world was sinning, the world was disconnected. And Noah did tshuva for the entire world and elicited God's, what's tshuva? To bring back God's good will. And Noah did that. He brought the karbonos after he came out of the mabel and he got, a, he got a promise from God that God will never do that again. To the point that Hashem made a covenant with every single creature, with every mosquito, God make a covenant. That's what it says this week in the parsha. That Hashem didn't only make mosquitoes with the human beings, He made with every creature that walked out of the teva, every species of animal. That's such a, that's such an, I, I, I was thinking about that today, it's such an affection. God, the infinite being, is making a covenant with every tiny little, with a mouse. Hashem is making a covenant with a mouse. That I'm not going to destroy the world with every creature. That comes because of Noah's powerful tshuva. Noah did tshuva. For, for, sadly, he couldn't break everybody else to tshuva because he, he couldn't influence them. But he at least himself, he did tshuva. So Noah is tshuva. And that is why it mentions in the parsha immediately, Ela told us Noah, Noah is tzaddik. It mentions Noah's name twice. Ela told us Noah, Noah is tzaddik. Why is Noah's name repeated twice? Because tshuva is two levels of tshuva. That's what we're learning the whole time in Agarasa tshuva. There's the lower tshuva, and there's the higher tshuva. Told us Noach is the lower tshuva. Noach is tzaddik is the higher tshuva. 
Tshuvatata, the lower tshuva, like we learned earlier. Tshuvila, the higher tshuva. So actually learning this chapter, chapter 11, right now, Parshas Noach, is a good thing to learn and it's actually connected to the parsha. The other connection that we have from Parshas Noach to this parak that we're going to learn, that's in general a Geras Why are we learning the 11th chapter of a Geras Dafka? What's the connection of number 11 to Parshas Noach? So anybody that learned Rashi this week will know immediately. Rashi says that the Teva was submerged in the water 11 cubits. The Teva was 30 cubits tall. But 11 cubits of the Teva were submerged in the water of the Mabel. 11 Amos. The bottom 11 Amos. Like a boat. Part of the boat is under the water. So 11 uh, cubits were under the Teva. So there's something about number 11 with Noah. Something to do with Noah. Ketores? I would have, I, we don't find this week in the parsha that Noah offered. And we find he offered carbonos. Doesn't say that, but the number eleven is associated with incense, of course. Okay, so we're going to start now. Perak Yud Aleph. That's what we were holding. We're just going to need to. Um, We need to connect it to the previous, what we were learning earlier. See, earlier in Perak Yud, he was explaining the idea of the higher tshuva. Remember, we learned there's the lower tshuva. And the lower tshuva is repairing the damage from sin. If there was any sin, one has to repair the damage that occurred, one has occurred as a result of the sin. And that is to come back. And we learned that, remember, the lower tshuva has two parts to it. Number one is a very strong remorse and feeling, not remorse, you feel compassion for your soul, a powerful feeling of compassion for the neshama and a passion for the shechina that was, was dragged into exile. And also one has to feel um, um, bitter, a strong bitterness and a brokenheartedness on, how did I, on, on, one's, on one's klipa, on the unholy side, on the ego that has brought a person to sin. Right? The ego needs to be crushed, and the neshama needs to be needs to be pitied. That's what we learned. In general, the lower tshuva is a, the lower tshuva is a painful experience. It involves a lot of pain. First of all, the feeling of compassion and pity is painful, because when you're feeling pity for someone, it's a painful feeling. And the other feeling is, especially when you're feeling talking about a broken heart, and you beat yourself up and you knock down. And you say, how can I have done something like this? You feel horrible about what you've done. That's, that's not a happy feeling. It's a bitter, it's a bitterer feeling. However, we learned that's the lower tshuva. But then there is a higher tshuva. What's the higher tshuva? It's not about erasing the sin. Because the moment you feel bitter and you ask for forgiveness, Hashem will forgive like we're going to learn about today. But then he talks about the higher tshuva. higher tshuva is bringing your neshama back to a union with God as the neshama was before a person before the neshama ever left Hashem. Before the soul left God, the neshama was part of God. And he says something exquisite. He talks about it, he says, so, so, something so amazing. We're sitting over here talking about this like it was, I don't know what. This is Gavaldi. The Alter Rebbe is saying that a person ought to try to bring his neshama back to a connection to Hashem in the level of unity that the, that the soul had before it was ever breathed out. 
We can imagine where a breath was before you breathed your breath. Before you breathe your breath, the breath is you. It's in, it's, it's, um, you can't, you can't even, uh, uh, there's no, it's, it's, it's indistinguishable as an entity on its own while it's still within the greater, within the greater um, 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 uh, oxygen or, 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 or breath that's in your lungs. One particular breath, it's all part of your greater life force. Only when you exhale it does it become distinguishable on its own. So to the neshama. Before God breathed the neshama, the neshama was one with Hashem. Then the neshama comes and enters heaven. When the neshama enters heaven, the neshama is full of light. Who can only imagine? Neshama is higher than an angel. Way above an angel. It's unbelievable. But it's yet already a soul. That's already endlessly lower than the neshama while it's still one, embedded in God Himself. Neshama becomes a neshama, becomes an entity. Now we're saying, after a person sins, when you're, when you're coming back to connect to God, don't only connect to God and be a good Jew. Connect to God and become unified with Him. Become unified with Him so much as if you, like before you were ever created. Before your soul was ever even, not only not in a body, before your ever neshama ever landed in heaven. Neshama was one with Hashem. And how can you do that? While you're alive. So we learned. When a person wants with a yearning to cleave to God, there's a drive, you feel, you have to compensate on the distance. Because of the sins, because of the disconnect, you want to compensate for the distance. So now you're running back. And you want to have unity. But how do you bring yourself to that unity? You will always be conscious of yourself. No. So the Alter Rebbe says, you can bring yourself not to be conscious of yourself. And you can do it in two ways. One of them is you can bring God's thoughts down upon you. Where you, where you, where you, um, where you um, immerse yourself in Hashem's thoughts, and your thoughts are no more your thoughts. You over, you overpower your own thoughts with God's thoughts, and then God is thinking through your mind, not you. And that's through Torah study. When we're studying Torah, I'm not thinking. I, I've, I've exited myself. My own me, me, meaning me as a person, not Hashem, doesn't exist anymore. Because for this duration of time, my mind is occupied with thoughts that are God's thoughts that are being thought through my mind. And Hashem's words being spoken through my, my mouth. And then he continued further. You could even get your hands and limbs. Your limbs can become conduits through where God is operating for, through. So now you're just an extension of God. You're an extension cord. You're an extension of Hashem in this world. Hashem's power is flowing through you. That's called Malmaila Lamato. You're bringing Hashem down into you. And then at that moment, now not every time, see really in some sense it happens every time a person does, does, learns Torah and does a mitzvah. But we learned that it happens primarily when you're doing it as a Jew. I'm sorry, as a Balchuva. When you're doing it as a Balchuva. In, with with, in other words, it bothers you that you're separated. Then when you're learning Torah with that intention, that you want to dissolve. I don't want to be me anymore. I want to be included in you, God. That's the ultimate union. That's called Mamaila Lamata, from up down, that we learned in chapter 9. And in chapter 10, he, he, he introduced that we have to do that also in prayer. In other words, prayer, you have to ascend upward. You have to lay, raise your consciousness to a point where you experience there's nothing but God. See, in, that, in learning, you're not, you're, you're not, you're not, you haven't raised your consciousness into the oneness of Hashem. You suspended yourself by bringing God's thoughts into you, and you pushed yourself out, so to speak. 
or you merged with Hashem, but it's in a manner not that Hashem is, Hashem is truly what you feel as the only reality. You feel yourself, but for the time being, you suspended all of my own thoughts and you allowed God to overtake you. That's powerful, that's good, but the Alter Rebbe says you also have to do it through prayer. In prayer, you can come to a higher recognition and a higher consciousness till you can reach a point where you don't feel even that you exist anymore. And then you've become completely integrated into Hashem. And that's the way of Balchuva Davins, the beautiful Chuvi law of the higher. But the Alter Rebbe says an interesting thing the state of mind and the, and the feeling in which a person is in when you're in that state is one of joy. This is not a Chuva. This is not a painful tshuva. The higher tshuva, which is the tshuva of Yom Kippur and the like, is not a painful tshuva. It's not a hurtful tshuva. It's not one with bitterness. It's one with the greatest joy because there's nothing happier than being unified with your source. Okay. Then the Alter Rebbe continued because I want to pick off where we're holding. I'm just doing a quick review on chapter 10. The Rebbe said, since prayer, everyday prayer, especially for a balchuva, what we're learning over here is the story of a balchuva, which we can all identify because we, we can't be tzaddikim anymore because we all sinned already. So that's why we, no, we have no chance of being a tzaddik anymore. Our only path is to be a balchuva. So in Agaris Atshuva, this is the Mesechta, this is the tractate for the balchuva. So when we pray every day, your prayer ought to be this kind of a prayer, one of submerging your soul back into God. And therefore prayer needs to be done with great joy. And that's why the sages really tell us, you can't start davening, only from joy. But on the other hand, he says there has to be another feeling when you're coming to pray. And that is since a person cannot leap, he says, into the higher tshuva immediately, you can't just dance and jump right into the higher tshuva. The only way you can get to the higher tshuva is for first going through the lower tshuva. You have to make your way through the lower tshuva, and from lower tshuva you can come to higher tshuva. So therefore, what would that mean? That every day before prayer, the Altar Rebbe says, you have to bring yourself to a sense of remorse and a sense of, 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 of brokenheartedness for one's sins. That's just saying, tshuva is an ongoing thing. By the Altar Rebbe and by a chassid and by chassidis, tshuva, as we said earlier, we began the class, it's not a one-time thing. I did tshuva, I'm a bal tshuva. Totally ridiculous. It's an everyday exercise. Every morning, you're frustrated about, even if you didn't repeat the sin. I'm not talking about a person that's continuously sinning. Even if you did sin 10 years ago. Every day, you bring yourself to a brokenheartedness. And after that, a person can move ahead into prayer. You first break the klipa. And then you move into the union with God. And that's why the sages also say, You cannot start davening. Only from a heavy head, which Rashi says means hachna. Hachna means humility and, 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 and brokenheartedness. And then when you start praying, you pray with a combination of both these feelings. Of a feeling of brokenheartedness and with joy. But then the Rebbe says, no, no, the Rebbe says, so really, but, but really it works like this. The brokenheartedness is the lower tshuva, so that comes first. You do that before prayer. And after that, you change and you flip the feeling over and you come to a feeling of joy. Now that I'm coming connected to Hashem, I'm besimcha, I'm joy. But then the Alter Rebbe says, that's good for, for big people, for people on a higher level. They're able to change their feeling immediately. They can wake up in the morning and close their eyes and meditate for a couple of moments on their lowliness 
and on the blemishes that they made and the disconnect that they caused on their neshama and the deep, deep wreckage that they did on their soul. And they can bring themselves to a deep sense of bitterness and sadness. And then when, they put, when they're ready to go daven and open the siddur, they can close their eyes again and have a meditation on how now they're going to come close to God and become connected to Hashem. And they can totally transform their mood from one of sadness to one of great joy. But he says most people can't do that. Most people don't have the ability. He, calls, he says most people in our generation, Dor Yasim Kazet, people in our generation, which is considered an orphan generation, we don't have that capacity to be able to flip our heart so quickly, be'emes in a true way, it should be real, real sadness, and then come to real joy. So the Alter Rebbe gives advice, one should do it, that the, the sadness you should do earlier, at midnight, you wake up at night and that's a time for sadness, and it's appropriate time because God then is also crying, for the Beis HaMikdash, at Chatzos. So then you can join the cosmic energy of sadness, and then after that, towards the morning, is when you begin preparing for davening, that's when you turn on the joy. And then you have a few hours inter interruption in between, you're able to do so. And then the, the last thing we learned was the Alter Rebbe says, if you can't do this every day, really you should do it every day. If you can't do it every day, at least do it Thursday night, before Shabbos. Because since Shabbos, he says, is the higher tshuva, so midnight, Thursday night, is a good time to do tshuva. Because since Shabbos is the higher tshuva, because Shabbos is Tashev, which is the higher tshuva, so therefore at midnight um, of Thursday night, one should bring himself to the lower tshuva, so you make your preparation, so you should be able to have Shabbos. If you do tshuva Thursday night, then Shabbos is going to be completely different. Okay, that, That's what we learned earlier. And from that point is where we start Perek Yudalv. Now the Alter Rebbe is going to, however, step, regret, regress a little bit, step back a little bit, and says, this that I told you in last chapter, that you can have both, both feelings simultaneously, the lower tshuva and the higher tshuva, the sadness and the brokenheartedness that comes from the lower tshuva, and the joy and the gladness that comes from the higher tshuva, which you can't have them at the same time, because he says people can't do that, you can't have two opposite feelings. So therefore, even close to each other, you can't have that. Most people. He says, you should do this at midnight and do that later. The Alter Rebbe revisits the subject again. And he says, in truth, you could have both feelings together. Ah, he just said you can't. He's contradicting himself. So we'll see in a minute what that means. But let's first learn. He says, however, In order for a person to have, we're starting again, chapter 11 in Tanya. In Agaris Hachuva, page 198. In order for a person to have in his heart a true humility, which is the lower tshuva. The lower tshuva, it's not the same page as Bayom. I'm not using the same. It's, it's, it's Agaris Hachuva, the third part of the Tanya. And it is um, chapter 11. So if you want to look inside, no, it's page 28 in this, in this book, but they don't have the same book. No, it's not going to have a glossary over there. You can bring it to me. Yeah, which page is it? Egeris HaTshuva Perik Yudalev. Oh, 
Oh, on the top it says 198. All right, okay, so on the top it says, because there are numbers on the bottom too. Don't go through the numbers on the bottom, go on the numbers on the top, it's page 198. You have it? So, how can it be? So we're holding on chapter 11, Perikurav on the bottom. Which is the lower tshuva, as we said earlier. And to also have at the same time joy in God. To have both of them together at the same time. The Rebbe says, the Alter Rebbe says, I addressed this already in Tanya, chapter 30. Chapter 34. In chapter 34, the Alter Rebbe already spoke about this idea. How over there he's talking about a person that has a clogged heart. And they try, talking about someone who's serving, who meditates and works on himself and tries to every day try to love God, feel love of Hashem and fear of Hashem. And he says, what happens if you reach a point where, you're, where, you're, where you suddenly come to a, 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 par, a, a, par, a, a, few, a few days in your life or weeks or months where your heart is just cold? And as much as you try to learn and inspire yourself, it's not working. And it's not because you're not trying. It's not because you're, you're, not, you're lazy. You're meditating and thinking about the greatness of Hashem and doing whatever it takes to bring yourself to love, as he explains in Tanya, that if a person meditates on God's greatness, it's inevitably, since we have an neshama, it's inevitable, eventually we will come to love Hashem. And here you have a person who knows what it means to love God, who experienced love of Hashem and fear of Hashem, but now his heart is clogged. He calls it timtum alev, a clogged heart. So the Altar Rebbe says the reason it is because you became a little too smug with yourself. You became a little too comfortable. If you're feeling a little too, and the klipa becomes very dense. And therefore the only thing you need to do is you have to crush yourself. So he speaks a few chapters about crushing. He thinks how a person should meditate, how they're really lower than every person in the world. And he gives you a whole bunch of things to crush your heart. If you need it. To crush your heart. That's what he says earlier in the, in the, first, in the first part. But then he says, but then he goes on and he says, and he talks about, but even though you're crushed about your condition of your animal soul, of how lowly you are, that, 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 that doesn't mean you can't be happy as well. You should be, but even after you bring yourself to a sadness and to a bitterness and a crushed heart, which you need because your heart is not soft, then you can, he says, then you should meditate on so and so and so, that even though I sinned and even though I made mistakes, but yet by doing a mitzvah I can reconnect my soul and elevate it so high and I can take the prince, the princess out of the dungeon. That's the main theme he talks about over there. I'm lifting my neshama out of the dungeon, notwithstanding the darkness that I'm in all day long, but right now when I'm doing a mitzvah or I'm studying Torah, I'm restoring the princess to her, to her palace. My neshama is going back and I should rejoice and celebrate. So the Rebbe says, but then, then these are two opposite feelings. Sadness and, 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 and joy. So he asked the question, how can you have the two feelings? So he brings over there that it's possible to have two feelings at the same time. And he brings this from a Zohar. Where the Zohar says that it's possible for a person to experience two opposite feelings at the same time. Joy and sadness. Now I, I, I think for most people like us, who are generally walking around more on the surface. And we're doing mitzvahs, Baruch Hashem, and we're trying to be good Jews. But we're not living in this inner world of emotions that the Altar Rebbe talks about, which every day you're supposed to start your day and unleash powerful emotions of love of God and fear of God. Also, we wouldn't even think this question. 
sad, happy. Who would think this? But, but, but the people that the Alter Rebbe was teaching to, and, and, and if you take the Alter Rebbe seriously and you really put this into practice, you have to come with this dilemma. Rebbe, I don't understand. How can I feel these two opposite emotions? This becomes a, what I'm saying is this becomes a real problem. I haven't had anybody in all the time that I've been rabbi in the shul, I hadn't had anybody come to me with this dilemma. I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm feeling sadness, and, but then I'm supposed to feel joy. So people said, I'm sad that I had people talk to me about. Okay, but someone tells me, oh, Baruch Hashem, I'm davening, it's Gvaldik, he's very happy. I see people are happy. Someone to come with me, in a, to, me to me with a problem and tell me, I have sadness, how can I, you're supposed to be sad because of your sins, but you're also supposed to be happy. How can I have these two feelings at the same time? The reason why people don't have the question is because they never try the two together. Why don't they try? Because you're not you're not into feeling powerful feelings, in, right? But if you're living the world of Tanya, then you will come to that point. What am I supposed to do? How do I have these two emotions? They, they clash. How can I be happy and sad? And be sad truly and be happy truly? They don't work together. So over there in chapter 34, he says, it's possible. Believe it or not, it is possible. In one heart, in one at the same time to feel two feelings. And he brings it from the Zohar. The Zohar says that Rabbi Lazar says, Rabbi Lazar, the son of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, said that when I heard my father teaching me the secrets, the esoteric secrets of the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was giving a, a, lek, a talk and he was teaching about the mysteries, the hidden secrets of when God destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. Rabbi Lazar said when I heard my father teach that, on the one hand, I was thrilled because he was revealing such deep secrets. On the other hand, I was in such pain because the secrets were the subject matter was about such painful subject that the Beis Amigdash was destroyed and the exile and, and the exile was, was uh, initiated. So I had mixed feelings, as you say, truly mixed feelings, a joy because I was so happy that I was getting these, these insights and the pain because there was a painful subject. So from there the Alter Rebbe says, you see one thing, that a person can experience opposite emotions if the cause of the emotions are two separate things. In other words, he's joyous because he's, because he's learning and there's great secrets. He's pained because, the, because it's a painful subject. It's two separate things. So therefore the Alter Rebbe says, it's over there. If you find that you're, you're upset and you're down because of the lowliness of your body, we say the body, we mean the body and our animal soul, our ego, our unrefined animal side, you're down. But on the other hand, you're realizing of what kind of elevation your neshama, what kind of beauty your neshama is. Even though your body is still low and it hasn't been refined, you're still doing a mitzvah. And when you do a mitzvah, your neshama is touching heaven, your neshama is kissing heaven. So now you can be sad because of the darkness of your body. And you can be besimcha because of the, 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 the beauty of your soul and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the delight of the neshama. So being that it's two separate things, you can have two opposite feelings. A person has two children. Imagine this. A person has two children. And at the same day, a tragedy, 
some kind of a tragedy happened with one child. I'm not talking about chas v'sholem, you know, who knows what. And a, very, and a very successful thing happened with another child, both in the same day. So being that it's two separate children, with, so one of them is causing him joy, the other one is causing him sadness. Both happening at the same time. He has aggravation and sadness because of one. And, at the, and you can have it too because it's, the causes are two separate things. So there the Alter Rebbe says it's possible to be happy and sad since it's two separate things together. So he wants to apply that over here as well. stated in the Zohar. Joy is etched in my heart. From this side. And and crying is in my heart from the other side. So it's possible for a person to be pained because of their sins of their past. And at the same time, and therefore have what, what we need, a broken heart. And at the same time, when they're, they're going into the higher tshuva, to do, they're praying. They're going into the higher tshuva so they can have the simcha and the joy of coming close to Hashem. I, we said in the last chapter, the Alter Rebbe said clearly that you, that our days we can't do that. And you should do the sadness earlier. And do, do, the, do the sadness at midnight. And do the joy at a later time. So earlier the Alter Rebbe divided it and he said you can't do it. And over here he's saying you could do it. So which one is it? You could or you can't? And the answer is, he's talking about two levels. Two levels. There are people on a lower level, on a lower level of tshuva and on a lower level where they can't experience both. To them he, to them he recommends doing the sadness, the, the lower tshuva at midnight, and then in the morning, having the great simcha when they're davening. So the joy, the davening is besimcha gedola, with great joy, sadness is. That's in a person who's primarily, he's still holding in the lower tshuva. A person who's still struggling to come out of the darkness. To that human being who's still struggling with the darkness, even though he too is being elevated into the higher tshuva, he can't experience both at the same time. In this parak. He's talking about someone who is on, the, on a level who is primarily in the higher tshuva. He's primarily in the higher tshuva, meaning he's past his sins already. He's primarily in a place where his connection to the Abishter, he's, he's living in the world of the higher tshuva. It's only that he's still a lingering memory and there's still something there from the previous sins. So he still has to have the lower tshuva as well. Over there, the pain and the aggravation and the hurt is not so intense. So then a person is able to have that kind of a hurt and that kind of a pain simultaneously with the joy. Because since it's two separate things, the pain is there because of what I've done in the past, and the joy is there of take a look where I am right now. I'm, 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 I'm connecting to the Abish. And in addition to that, the Alter Rebbe says over here, to add to that, not just the fact that I'm now connecting and before I was disconnected, but in adding to be able to allow, to facilitate the joy to come together with the sad, to, be, to have a broken heart. And that the lower tshuva, the broken heartness from the lower tshuva, should not interfere and should not ruin it, that you shouldn't be able to be the simcha from the higher joy. 
Because a person will say, why in the morning before davening should I start even thinking about my negativity? It's going gonna, it's gonna to make me down. And if it's going to make me down, I'm not going to be able to serve Hashem with joy. So the Rebbe says, no, 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 no. You do need to bring yourself to that broken heart. Don't be afraid. Why? Because if you're also going to take into consideration something very, very important. And that is, it's true that I've sinned and I made mistakes and I made terrible damage in my neshama and I've hurt God badly and I've caused a wreckage in all worlds. It's true. That's all true. But I'm doing tshuva and I did tshuva and I'm continuing to do tshuva. And I'm, and I'm asking for Hashem for forgiveness. And I know absolutely certain without any shadow of a doubt that God has forgiven. Because the moment, and that's what he's going to say now, the moment a person asks for forgiveness, sincerely, God forgives. It doesn't take two minutes. It doesn't even take a minute. It's the instant, the second the person says sorry and regrets their past, and they, and, and they want, and they're asking for forgiveness, Hashem forgives. So then, even if I'm, I was sad about what happened and the offense that I've done, but I know I was forgiven. So I'm able to take the sadness, even though there's a... The, yeah, you achieve something with a broken heart, but not get bogged down. That's the point. Don't get bogged down in the brokenheartedness and the sadness, because you know you were forgiven. How do you know you're forgiven? Because you asked for forgiveness. And Hashem is a merciful, compassionate being who forgives. And that's what he says now. And to add, od, to add on an addition. To have emuna and to have bitachon, to have faith, and to have bitachon and to have assurance. Bitachon means confidence, trust. You have faith and you have trust. His heart should be nochon liboy batuach b'ashem. His heart should be established, nochon liboy strong, batuach b'ashem with trust in Hashem. Again, the start, the heart has to be. You can't have any doubt in your heart. If you have doubt in the heart, that's not kosher. That itself is a sin. To, to doubt if God forgives. A person has to have nochoin liboy. A person's heart needs to be strong, batuach b'ashem, trusting in God. That what? Ki chesed hu. That God desires to do kindness. All Hashem wants is to be kind. So Hashem is looking all day long for another point of kindness. The moment someone taps God on the shoulder and says sorry, Hashem is excited because he's hunting for kindness. That's what he wants to do. Although he's looking to forgive. Sometimes he doesn't have anybody to forgive because no one is asking for forgiveness. The moment someone calls him up and asks for forgiveness, instantly, of course, he's chafet chesed. He desires kindness. V'chanun, and he's gracious. V'rachum, and he is compassionate. V'rav lisloyach. And he has a lot, and he has a great capacity for forgiveness. A great capacity. Rav means a great, great. He, his forgiveness is very much. And when does he do it? And you don't have to pester him. You don't have to bug him. You don't have to bother. And you don't have to nudge. Takeif umiyad. Instantly. Takeif. That means instantly. Umiyad. And right away. 
Soon we'll see what it means, takef and muyad. We'll see in a minute what that means. But he says, takef and muyad, both languages of it. Shemavakesh mechilo slicha, that a person asks for atonement and for forgiveness. Me'ita yizbarach from Hashem. The moment a person asks for forgiveness from God, and we know we're asking. How do we know we're asking? Because we're talking about the person, again, we're talking about the person who's doing what the Alter Rebbe said earlier. He wakes up at the midnight and he does tshuva to ask Hashem for forgiveness. And, and, and again, in this chapter, we're saying even if you're not getting up at midnight, because we said over here, again, midnight was for people who can't flip their heart over from sadness to joy immediately. So the Alter Rebbe says, give it some time. Get up in the middle of the night, do your sadness, and then flip over to joy a little bit later. Okay. But in this chapter, he's saying that you can have the two feelings together. But, what, but, but if you're not doing it at midnight, then you're doing what you're supposed to be doing at midnight in the morning, which is what? The concept of Tikkun Chatzos. And what's Tikkun Chatzos? It's you do certain davening, and primarily the main Tikkun Chatzos is to say chapter 51 in Tehillim. Perek Nun Aleph in Tehillim. And that chapter is the chapter where David HaMelech is doing tshuva, when King David is doing tshuva. And he's asking God, Kerov Rachamecha, with the abundance of your mercy, Mechepesho, I erase my sins. So the Rebbe is saying, the Yalta Rebbe is saying, so that's what you're doing. In other words, why are you worried? You, say, you have a broken heart to your sin, but you're doing tshuva. I didn't do your tshuva. Because you're saying, you're asking God for forgiveness. As it says over here, Kerov Rachamecha, with the abundance of your mercy, Mechepesho, I erase my sins. Kapseini, wash me. Tahareini, purify me. And all my sins erase. We say that. That's what we're asking. We're pleading. So sure, Hashem is not going to deny your request. If you're asking, especially if your heart is in the request, for sure He's going to forgive. And hear these words. Without any doubt, and even shadow of a shadow of a doubt. You hear that? If someone thinks Matzah Yom Kippur, even the tiniest little shadow of a doubt, maybe I wasn't forgiven, maybe I still have blemishes on my neshama, maybe I'm still filthy, maybe I'm still carrying the sins of last year. That is, that is heresy. That is heresy. That is apicorsis. That is blasphemy. God forgives and there's not, he doesn't say this. He says, you're not allowed to have even the shadow of a shadow of a shadow of a doubt. Hashem is absolutely, you asked for, for forgiveness, he forgives you. And we'll see later in Tanya, even if it's a thousand times that you did it already. Because we'll say, oh yeah, okay. Because what is the Yetzirah telling us? Every single person sitting here by the class, what is the Yetzirah saying? Yeah, of course, that's if you do tshuva. If you do tshuva. If you do tshuva. Such a clipper. If you do, of course you do tshuva. Who, who is he talking about? He, of course he's talking about you, dude. We all do tshuva. Because we all feel bad that we sin. So, ah, you did it again tomorrow. And you did it again next day. Yeah, we'll speak, speak about that later. The moment you ask for forgiveness, you are forgiven. Without a doubt. And he proves it. Where is he saying this? He proves this. Like we make a blessing. In every tefillah yudches, meaning yudches, in every Shmona Esrei. We can't make jokes by Shmona Esrei. It's a serious time. So Shmona Esrei, we make a blessing. First we say a request. We ask God for forgiveness. Slach lanu avinu. Forgive us, Father. Kichatanu. Machal lanu malkeinu kifashanu. Even if we sinned really bad sin, 
rebellious. We knew it's bad. The worst kind of sin is a pesha, rebellious. We say, and then right after we ask for forgiveness, what do we say? We say, thank you, God, or blessed are you, God. The compassionate one, the gracious one, who increases, who forgives a lot. So we're making a blessing that God has forgiven us. You're, you're saying, we say, as soon as we request and we say, forgive us, we say, blessed are you, God. You're a gracious, you're a kind, and a kind and, and compassionate one who, in, who, who, who increases, who who increasingly forgives, or is always forgiving. You're always forgiving. You have an abundance of forgiveness. Continue to forgive. So, what's the proof over here that God for sure forgave? We're thanking Him that He forgives. Who said He forgave? Who said, but maybe He didn't forgive me in this instant. He forgives a lot. But maybe, He says, but it's, what, you're saying the blessing, not stand that God forgave, Moshe, uh, uh, Hashem forgave Kikayan. Or Hashem forgave Adam Arishon, or Hashem forgave the Jewish people after the sin of the ego. You're asking Hashem for you asked a request. You said Slachlan, oh God, forgive me. And then you're thanking him. Barakat Hashem. But how do you know God forgave you? How can you say Barakat Hashem? Barakat Hashem means I'm blessing you, God, for the forgiveness. I asked, it's like you go to someone, you ask somebody something. Okay, you're going someone, you're, you're fundraising. You're going someone for money. They take out a checkbook and they write you a check. They give you the check and what do you say? Thank you. That's exactly what happens. We stand in Shemona Esther, we say, God, forgive us. Only after he forgives us do we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, thank you God for the forgiveness. Now, if you're in shadow, maybe God didn't forgive you, then you can't say Baruch Atah Hashem for, for the forgiveness. You can't say that. Why? What? Maybe you should say it just in case. You don't know. I'm not sure, but I'm saying thank you. Because I'm thinking maybe. So first of all, it doesn't make any sense to thank someone if you don't know for sure that they helped you. Sometimes you say thank you when you're sending an email to someone. You write thank you even by the request because thank you for even considering it. But we hope that we'll say thank you already so it's like, you know, they're for sure going to do it. Or like Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Abarditchev said, the marshal of a, of a child whose father doesn't want to give him the candy, so the, kid, the, the, the child goes and quickly makes the bracha. What is your father going to do now? He has to give him the, And there's nothing else there that's a shahakal. So he has no choice. He has to give it to him. It'll be a bracha levatal. So we're saying, Barachat Hashem, God, you have no choice now. That's exactly true. Because the rule is, Safik brachas lahakal. When there is a doubt, on a bracha, if you're supposed to make a blessing, you don't say a blessing. The, the law is you're not allowed to say lahakol, meaning you don't say the blessing. Lahakol means you're makel. Makel means you're lenient, and you don't say the blessing. If I don't remember, if I'm if I'm drinking water, did I make a shahakol or I didn't make a shahakol? The law is the law is you don't make another shahakol. The only time you make a blessing when you don't know if 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 you're doubt if you're supposed to or not, is if you don't remember if you said birkat benji. Because that's Minatora, that's biblical. And since it's biblical, there we have to be stringent. If you don't remember that you're benched, you have to bench again. But all other blessings that are only rabbinic, you can't do it, you, 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 don't, uh, you don't make it. 
That's only that you don't have to make it. What happens if you want to? I don't remember. I'm drinking water and I don't remember if I shed a shahakal. And I know I don't have to make another blessing, but I want to. The law is I'm not allowed to. If, if I don't remember, I'm drinking, it might be, but there might, there's a chance in my mind that I made the blessing already. Now, Allah is I'm not allowed to make another blessing. Why? Because you can't say God's name in vain. It's a serious business. Saying the blessing when you don't have to is a, is a problem. You can just say blessings all day long. It's only when you have to. If you don't know that you have to, you're not allowed to say it. So here's a question. I just daven Shemona Esrei. I'm asking God for forgiveness. I don't know if he forgave me. I'm asking, but who says he accepted my petition? I've done a very bad sin. I've done a really bad one. I know it's a bad one. I've done like horrible sin. I've done like a, a really terrible thing. I feel terrible. I'm embarrassed. I hope no one finds out that I did this. Yeah, imagine someone, it's really bad. I'm embarrassed, terrible. But then I, I, I come to shul the next day and I to the and I say, God, Ebishter, Ebishter, please forgive me. I'm not sure. I'm down here. He's like a billion miles away. Did he hear me? Did they then? Did my feel right? And then he's going to accept my prayer and forgive me. Forgive me. Finish. The sin is not there anymore. I don't know. I hope so. It bothers me. I even shed a tear when I davened. It hurt me. But I don't know if God is going to forgive me. It's a really bad one. And I, and I remember I did this sin another time a while ago and I promised I'm never going to do it again. I promised that I'm never ever going to do this again. And now I just, I just switched. And I did the same thing again. And I'm, and I asked, but I'm not sure that God is going to forgive me. So how can I make the bracha? Baruch Atah Hashem. Which is, thank you God for the forgiveness if I don't know if He gave. Not only, and we, again, when, when you're in doubt, you're not allowed to make the bracha. Because, bracha levatala. Yet we say, yes, every day we say, Baruch Hashem What does that tell you? That there's no doubt. There is no doubt. If you ask God for forgiveness, it can be a super mega jumbo sin. If you ask God for forgiveness, there is no doubt and even a doubt of a doubt that God has forgiven you. This is such a liberating, freeing chapter. This itself, this itself can make a person happy for the rest of their life. Anytime, no matter what you do wrong in your life, if you say sorry, you will be for forgiven. That was that. Let's read it again. When you have a question about a bracha, whether you did it, or if you should make a blessing or not, lahakul meaning you have to be lenient. Leaning and leaning is you're not allowed to say it. Because there's a possibility that's a blessing in vain. So then how can we make this bracha? There isn't any doubt at all. Here the beautiful words of the Alter Rebbe. Since we requested we begged, we asked Hashem for forgiveness. Forgive us. It's for sure we were forgiven. So I can say thank you. We were forgiven. If that's the case, we have a simple question. The Alter Rebbe is now bothered by a question, which also only a tzaddik like him would think of. What's the question? If the moment we say, we're forgiven all the sins we've done, then why are we still in exile? Every, I, I'm surprised. I mean, everybody should have asked this question. Hey, no sin? 
Mashiach. Because we know the only reason we're in exile is we say it in, in Davening. Because of our sins, we were exiled from our land. So we said it in, we say it in, 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 in the, on the holiday, the Yom Tov Davening, by Musaf, every time. Because of our sins, we were exiled. And over here, if because of our sins we were exiled, and now, so once there's no sin anymore, because if, if all Jews davened mincha, okay, the Alter Rebbe was living in a time when all Jews davened mincha. Sadly, a few hundred years later, so many Jews don't know about mincha, and don't know about shachris, the morning service, afternoon service. But in, definitely in his days, when everybody was still davening, so everybody did tshuva. Everybody said slachlan. God forgave us. So then we should be immediately redeemed. And since we're not redeemed, it's a sign that there's still sin. His answer is to that. Oh, he says, the truth is God has forgiven. Why aren't we redeemed? Because immediately after we ask for forgiveness, we start sinning immediately later. Instantly, sometimes while we're still Shmon Esrei, we're already sinning again. It's possible that we're doing sin at, I don't know, we stop thinking, stop concentrating, we're this, we're that. It's already sin. And we're not all davening Shmon Asra at the same moment across the world. But at times these guys finished Shmon Asra, they're sinning already. Right? These guys are davening. Maybe we should make an, a, a campaign. Everybody davening Shmon Asra, everybody at the same moment. Right? If we would not, if if we would not go back to sin, we would instantly be redeemed. Like we like we make the next blessing. What's the next blessing after Salach Lanu? Baruch Hashem Goyal Yisrael, the Redeemer of the Jewish people. The minute after we say Salach Lanu, we say the next blessing, Goyal Yisrael, the Redeemer. Because once there's no sin anymore, God has forgiven us. He doesn't have, he doesn't bear a grudge against us anymore. He's not upset at us anymore because there's no more sin. There's no more barrier. He should redeem us. So instantly should be redemption. It's because we mess up instantly. But at least we should be happy that there's three seconds a day that we're forgiven. Every day after we say, right at that moment we're forgiven. The next minute we sinned again. Okay, so then we have to wait till the next. But we are forgiven. I think he's talking about that we have kavanah, of course. We have an intention. If you're sitting and just mumbling the words, I don't think it means that. If you're thinking and you're asking, which means it's prayer in general means it's, it's, it's with consciousness, with awareness of what you're saying, and you ask God for forgiveness, you're forgiven. And now he continues. Even in the Midah. And he wants to emphasize that this thing, you say, God forgives every time. He proves it first from Halacha. What's the Halacha? We pray three times a day. And if we would not be sure that we were forgiven, how can we, how can we say a bracha? How can we say Baruch Hashem? That's number one. Now he says, he says it's, it's simply menschlichkeit. If you're a mensch, if, if, you, if someone did something to you and they ask for forgiveness and they apologize, you're supposed to forgive. So God is definitely menschlich. 
if this is expected even from human beings, it's expected even from human beings made out of flesh and blood, mortal human beings made out of flesh and blood, we are expected to forgive someone when someone asks for forgiveness, even if they did a big crime against us. That for sure Hashem has to do that. I mean, after all, He's God. He says, even, even human beings. Cain, so it is. The person has to forgive. As soon as a person is asked for forgiveness, a person has to forgive. When a person comes to you and says, I'm sorry, I did something, I said something offensive, I hurt you, I whatever, I insulted you, I was, I was inconsiderate of you, whatever it is, but please forgive me. When a person says that to us, it's our, it, 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 a person ought to forgive immediately. Not like, come back to me next week, or let me think about it. Instantly, we're supposed to forgive. And a person should not be cruel. That's called cruel. When someone comes to ask for forgiveness, and you don't forgive, it's cruelty. And even if it's not like a, a little thing, you know, they insulted it. The expectations are high that even when someone, God forbid, maimed another person with an injury that is unrepairable and they did it intentionally. Imagine, God forbid, the anger, the resentment that a person would have to someone else when someone else came and deliberately severed their arm. God forbid. And the rest of the chas a person's life, they're lacking their arm. Imagine what kind of life it is, how much pain there is, you don't have your arm. Chas What kind of suffering you have in your life. And this person is guilty. They're the ones who did it. Yet the Gemara says that when a person did that to someone else, they have to compensate. They have to pay them back all the payments in the basin. If they come and they ask for forgiveness, you have to forgive. You can't keep the grudge against them. If they... I mean, if they're not saying sorry, you know, but if they come with a sincere apology and they're asking for forgiveness, you are obligated to forgive them. And if they ask three times and you didn't forgive, then they don't even have to come to you anymore. They, they have executed their, their thing and the person who is not forgiving is considered a cruel person and we don't even have to, it's not important to gain his forgiveness because that's it. So you go three times to ask someone. They don't, if they didn't forgive the first time, it's possible. You go a second time. A second time didn't forgive, you go a third time. But after three times, we expect every Jew to forgive another person, even if the crime that was committed against them was awful. So if that's expected from a human being whose compassion and grace and kindness is limited, how much more so from Hashem was infinite compassion. So even if we did a big sin that's really hurtful to Hashem, if we ask for forgiveness, of course He forgives. As He says, Even if one chops off the other person's hand. As stated in Gemara, the eighth chapter in Baba Kama, that if a person chopped off another person's hand, and then they come and they ask forgiveness from Him, you have to forgive. And if a person asks someone to forgive three times, and he didn't forgive him, 
You don't even have to ask him anymore. Meaning it's, 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 that's considered so, so un-Jewish, so out of, so out of the, the, the Jewish experience that if a person did that three times, you don't even have to deal with them anymore. That's it. So definitely Hashem also forgives. That's his proof. So it's not even a godly trait. Now the Alter Rebbe wants to prove to us how confident we need to be that when we ask Hashem for forgiveness that God has forgiven us. Number one, in Shemona Esrei we say, we make a bracha. And we see, we're thanking God for the forgiveness. Number two, even human beings, a mensch forgives. If they ask for forgiveness, you have to forgive. Okay. And now we... Vahagivoinim, I just want to make an interesting diok over here. You'll see that the words of the Alter Rebbe, how precise and how, how every word is so amazing. Let's stop for over here for a moment. When the Alter Rebbe speaks, mentions in the last few lines a few times the concept of immediately, he begins, if you look, in, in um, the third line from the top on page Kuf, the third line from the top. There were lines that we just learned. You count. The, the first line is Lamed Dalit. You go down Vachulu, and the third line is Bahashem. And you go to the last line, it says, Veravlis Loyach, Teikuf Umiyad. Teikuf Umiyad means instantly and immediately. Immediately and instantly. Hashem forgives. As soon as we ask for forgiveness, instantly and immediately He forgives. Okay. Now we continue further. So He uses two languages for something meaning immediately instantly and immediately. Then he says, like later he says, when we make a bracha, Chanan Amar Belesloyach, oh, Kamoshonam of Archim behold, Tfilas Yudches, every bracha we say Tfilas Yudches, Takev Shemavakshem Slachlonu. Takev, he uses the word Takev, which means immediately. When we say Slachlonu, the Abishter forgives us. But he only uses the word Takev, he doesn't say instantly. He says immediately. Immediately, but not instantly. He says, only take him. Earlier he says, immediately and instantly. That, that's, that's over here. Then, when he says, a few, few lines later, he says, and then as a result of God forgiving us, Hashem should have redeemed us. And if we wouldn't sin again, God from Mashiach would come. So he says, and therefore, he says, miyad, if we would not have sinned again, hayinu negal and miyad, we would have been redeemed instantly. Here he says instantly, not immediately. Here he says miyad. Again, the first time he says both. Tekev umiyad. The second time he says tekev. The third time he says only miyad. And the fourth time, when he says that a human being is also supposed to forgive, he again repeats the same. He says, when a person has asked someone else to forgive him, he's supposed to forgive him tekev umiyad. Instantly and immediately. So the Alter Rebbe is writing a book over here, and we know that he's careful with every word. How come the first and last time he writes, Tekev Umiyad? The middle, he says, Tekev, and the other time he says, only Miyad. So of course you need the Rebbe's genius to figure this out. So the Rebbe says, instantly, <laughs> to be a genius, even to ask the question, you have to be a genius, let alone to, to come up with the answer. He says this, even though Tekef and Miyad generally mean the same thing, immediately and instantly, it's the same idea, 
but in English, I don't know for sure if there's a difference between immediate, immediately and instantly. They both mean close by, right after, very close in time. But in Hebrew, the word tekef and the word meyad, which mean, generally mean both right after, immediately, but there's a difference between them. Tekef means, meyad means, meyad means right away, in time. This happening and right a, a second later, the other thing happening. It means in time. Taketh means more than just in time. It means that one thing is coming as a result of the other thing. Because the word taketh is, comes, is used, hatoikev uh, tekufa is used in, um, uh, no, taketh tekufa is used for, for sewing. If a person makes a, 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 a stitch, it's called a tekifa. In Mesechtas Kalayim, I think. If you're making a stitch, it's called a, 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 which means two things stitched together. So taketh doesn't only mean close by, it means two things being attached to each other. You can have things being an instant, but not necessarily attached. Taketh means one thing attached to the other. And he says like this. When the Alter Rebbe says, when God forgives us, taketh for mayad, he means two, when we ask for forgiveness, it means the Alter Rebbe means two things over here. First of all, there's no duration of time. As soon as we asked, the Ebrister forgives. That, that, that's the meaning of the word miyad. But with takev, the Alter Rebbe wants something else. Takev, he means to say, it's a consequence of the fact that you asked. In other words, it's attached to, to your asking. See, because it's possible for, for God to forgive, but it would not, it would be, it would be miyad, but it would not be takev. What do we mean by that? Sometimes a person forgives another person not because the other person is asking and because I care about you and I know you're in pain and it's hurting you that, that you're walking around. It bothers me that you're hurt. And therefore I'm forgiving you because I know you really want me to forgive you and therefore I'm forgiving you. Then I'm, then I'm sensitive to you. But it's possible that I'm not forgiving you because I care about your feelings. As a matter of fact, I really don't care about you because you got me really upset. But you know why I'm going to forgive you? I'm going to forgive you because I'm a good person. Because I'm a really good person. And as, a, as part of my perfection of being a good person, I'm going to forgive you. So I'm not forgiving you because I really care about your pain that you, you're looking and you're seeking for forgiveness. I'm forgiving you because it's my goodness and of the goodness of my heart that I'm forgiving. And therefore I'm forgiving. But I'm really forgiving. But I'm forgiving you because I like to forgive. Not because you, it's important to you that you should be forgiven. It's about me because I like to forgive. That kind of forgiveness can come miyad instantly. You ask me for forgiveness, I forgive. of course I'm waiting. You have to ask, but when you ask, I'll forgive. But it's not because you asked. It's because I like forgiving. So I'm, because I'm a good person. So that's why the Alter Rebbe says, by God, it's not that. Of course God is good and He likes to forgive, but it's deeper than that. When Hashem forgives us, he forgives us not just because, because He likes to forgive. He forgives us because He cares about us and He knows we're in pain. He knows we're, we're burdened. We have guilt. And He doesn't want us to be burdened. And He doesn't want us to, be dis um, to walk around in discomfort and to be uncomfortable and to be hurt, especially because of Him. He doesn't want us. It hurts Him that we're hurt because of Him. And therefore, He wants to forgive us to alleviate our pain. Where do we see that? What does the Abish to say to Moshe Rabbeinu when we say it to Yom Kippur by night by Kol Nidre? That's like the point of Kol Nidre, the sweetest moment. 
by Kol Nidre, Vayoymer Hashem, and the Abishter said, Salachti, I have forgiven Kidvarecha. I didn't just forgive, because I like to forgive, because I'm a Chanon Hamar Belisloyach. Salachti, I'm saying Kidvarecha, because you asked. And you're asking me, and you're presenting to me the pain of the Jewish people, and I'm forgiving because it's their pain, and I want to alleviate their pain. That means takef. Takef means the forgiveness is stitched. It's, it's like sewn. It's, it's like something, two things sewn together. You ask, that's why I'm forgiving. So Hashem's forgiveness to us is twofold. Number one, it comes instantly. Number two, it comes as a consequence and as a derivative of our percussion. It's because we asked. That's why the Alter Rebbe, and, 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 and that's part of a person being besimcha over here. Because the point over here is that a person wants to feel that he's back in Hashem's good graces. Before he sinned, he was close. Then he sinned, what happened? He became a ruchak and distant. And di now when you see that Hashem is forgiving him because you ask, that shows that the, that the person is mamish merutza. He's back in Hashem's good graces. That God cares about his feelings. And if I'm asking for the forgiveness, Hashem is forgiving because of you, because you're asking. So that's why the Alter Rebbe says earlier at the beginning that the Ebershter forgives tekef umiyad. Good. When it comes, however, to the blessing of Slach Lanu, and he's proving from the fact that we say Baruch Ata Hashem, Chanun Amar he's proving that what? That God has for sure forgiven us. How can you make a bracha Chanun Amar if maybe when you ask for forgiveness, the Ebershter didn't forgive you? So he proves. So he says, takef. When we say slach lanu, takef, we say baruch Hashem He doesn't say miyad. Because why? Because over there is nogeya only the idea of a takef, not the idea of miyad. Why? Because let's say he says onu mevarchen. Let's say we would say slach lanu in the beginning of Shemayin Esrei. Let's say we would say slach lanu, the first half of the blessing. Slach lanu, we would say right in the, in the beginning of Shemayin Esrei. And let's say, Baruch Hashem, Chanan Amar we would say after Shmakulin, the end. So it wouldn't be immediately. Let's say we ask for forgiveness. We stop. Then we continue, and then we say, and we say uh, all the other brachas. All the blessings. And then when we get. To then we would do so it wouldn't be miyad. The Alter Rebbe said earlier, miyad, or as soon as we say, um, as soon as we ask, right away, we're we're we're, we're also saying Baruch We would still have. See, even if we would say the bracha later, we would still have the same proof. The very. The proof is not from the fact that instantly after Slachlonu we say Baruch Hashem. That's not where the proof is. The proof is from the fact that we Bechlal say a blessing that God has forgiven us. Even if we would say it 10 minutes later. How can you say Baruch Hashem? So in other words, Miyad is not Nogeya, that you're doing it Miyad. What's Nogeya? Nogeya is that God is forgiving us because we asked. How do you know? Because we say Baruch Hashem. So over there the Miyad is not important, only the Tekev is important. Take of means it's a consequence of what you did. You asked, God forgave you, not miyad. On the other hand, when he says, by the geula, the geula would come miyad. The geula, the redemption, if we wouldn't sin again after slachlanu, immediately, the geula would come. 
The Alter Rebbe says miyad and he doesn't say tekev. Because by the Geula is no gaya the opposite. That instantly, as soon as we have no sins, God will take us out of the Gullahs. But not because he forgave us, that's why. In other words, it's, over there it's not no gaya, the Rebbe says. That it's because, it's not tekev, it's not important that, who cares why? There is no sin. There is redemption. Sin causes Gullahs. There is no sin. There is, there, there is, there's no reason for Gullahs. So of course we're redeemed. So the main nekud over here is that it would happen instantly. It would be miyad. That's why he doesn't say take if he only says miyad. Then, however, right in the end, just going to finish this quickly, when he tells a human being to be forgiving like God is, right? And he says even a human being is supposed to be forgiving. Over here he says also that immediately when your friend asks you for forgiveness, you're supposed to forgive them. He says immediately and instantly. He says both. Because we are supposed to forgive similar to Hashem. Just like Hashem forgives instantly, we are forgiven instantly meaning right way when they ask, and just like Hashem forgives because the other person asked, because he's sensitive to the other person's needs, we're also supposed to forgive not because we're good people and that's why I'm forgiving. Oh, look what a good guy I am, I'm forgiving you. We're supposed to forgive because the other person is hurting, and we're supposed to be kind and want to forgive them so that they should not be hurt. It's a very important thing. That's why when it comes to our forgiveness, the Alter Rebbe also says, Tekef umiyad. Both things. First of all, we shouldn't linger. We should be instant and right away willing to forgive. Secondly, we should do it because they're asking, not just because we were good people, because they're asking. Okay, so there's much more sensitivity in the forgiveness. Good. Now the Alter Rebbe continues to prove the point. What was the point that he's coming to prove? He's continuing to prove the point that God definitely forgives us. That God for sure forgives us. And he says, and even human beings forgive each other. Are supposed to forgive. Now he says, and it's so severe. Not just we're supposed to, it's a nice thing to forgive. It is so severe if we don't forgive. That a person who doesn't forgive is, is, is questionable if he belongs to the Jewish people. Like we find that the Gibbonites, the Hagivonim, the Gibbonites, where King David, peace upon him. Requested from them, mehem mechila, from them forgiveness. Ba'ad shol, for the sake of shol. King's King Shol, the first Jewish king, killed out the, the, the city of Kohanim. Noiv era Kohanim. Amongst them he killed seven Gibbonite people. Seven Givonim. Givonim were, were converts. Who converted in the days of Joshua, Yeshua. And he killed seven of them. Two wood choppers, two water carriers, one sofer, one chazan. I forgot everybody what the third one was. There were seven people that uh, Shaul killed amongst the people of the Kohanim that he killed. It's the whole story of why they, he felt that they helped, I think, King David. David HaMelech, when he was running away, they were in assistance of him. And because of that, he went and he killed them. Because he felt that they, they deserved it because they rebelled against the king. Okay, he was a king. So he killed them all out, wiped them out. The Gavonim had a very, were very angry. And they, were, they, they, they kept their anger seething inside of them. After Shaul HaMelech died and David became king, David asked them to forgive his predecessor, Shaul HaMelech. David asked on behalf of King Shaul that, that they should forgive the deceased King Shaul for what he has done to them. V'loi ratzu limcha. And they did not forgive. David spoke to them, and they didn't forgive. 
when they did not give forgiveness for, for Shaul HaMelech, for forgiving their people, after King David asked for forgiveness on his behalf, what did David HaMelech do? Gazar David Aleim, David the King David decreed upon them, they cannot marry Jewish people. They were excommunicated. Any Gibbonite daughter or any Gibbonite son cannot marry a Jewish boy or a Jewish girl. He completely cast them out of the Jewish people. And the reason he said, because he says the Jewish people are a people of compassion. The Jewish people are a people of mercy. That's one of the, one of the, one of the attributes of the Jewish people. We're kind, we're bashful, and we are Rachmanim, and have mercy. And because they were so cold-blooded, and they were not willing to forgive, that's why David HaMelech excommunicated them. Sham Rachmanim Chuluk, the Yisra Beperik Chesti Yavamis, stated in the 8th chapter of Yavamis. So the Rebbe, Alter Rebbe is proving from here that not only is not to forgive is something that a Jew is supposed to do, but if you're not doing this, you don't need to, it's, 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 complete, it's so un-Jewish. That's what he's saying. It's not such a, a thing that everybody's supposed to forgive. It's so un-Jewish. So if it's un-Jewish, it's, it's for sure ungodly not to forgive. So if we ask from Hashem forgiveness, Hashem must forgive us. Of course He forgives us. Because not to forgive is cruelty. And King David went and pushed these people out of the Jewish people because they didn't forgive. So of course God forgives. What's the question? When the midah of the Abishter. That's even a human midos. Human, human, human. A Jew, a, a refined, a fine human being, which is the Jewish people are expected to be a finer quality people, is that we forgive. And the attributes of God. For sure, Kate's be for sure, for sure, for sure, infinite for sure's way beyond that, God definitely has to forgive. If we ask for forgiveness. So definitely, every time we David and we ask Hashem for so then why shouldn't someone be happy? Even if they sinned. Even if you sinned yesterday, even if you sinned today, even if you sinned a half an hour ago. But now you Davin Shmona Esra and you ask for forgiveness, you're forgiven. So you can be happy. You don't have to walk around sad with guilt. You're forgiven. Because when a person asks for forgiveness, they're forgiven. It's interesting, one more diuk I would like to say over here. The Rebbe again is Medayik in the Alter Rebbe over here. That the Alter Rebbe uses the words that David HaMelech, all of Ashalem, asked for forgiveness. He says, King David asked for forgiveness. All of Ashalem, peace upon him. We say peace upon him, and whenever we speak about a tzaddik who passed away, we say, all of Ashalem. But it's interesting. The Alter Rebbe quotes David HaMelech many times in Tanya. And he doesn't, two things. First of all, he doesn't always call him David HaMelech. Sometimes he just refers to him as David. And prove it. Look over here. A minute later, after he quotes David HaMelech, Olav HaShalem. Look over here. So he says, David HaMelech, Olav HaShalem. But the two lines later, he says, No, one line later. They didn't want to forget Gazar David Aleim. He says David decreed upon them. He doesn't repeat again. David Amelech Olav Hashalom. The first time he does say David Amelech Olav Hashalom. He just says David. Doesn't say David Amelech. So you might say because he just mentioned it a minute earlier. Doesn't have to say it again. But here's another proof. A minute earlier he he, he talks about Shaul. 
Right? David HaMelech, Olav HaShalom, asked Mechila, Ba'ad. Who did he ask Mechila for? What does it say? No. On whose behalf? No, on whose behalf did he ask forgiveness? For Shaul HaMelech. Ba'ad Shaul. Now, what's with Shaul HaMelech? With Shaul HaMelech, Shaul is also a Melech, no? How come he doesn't say, Chebikesh David HaMelech, Olav HaShalom, Mehem Mechila, Ba'ad, Shol HaMelech, Olav HaShalom. Shol, Shol doesn't deserve to be called HaMelech. And Shol doesn't be called, and Shol is not, doesn't deserve to be called Olav HaShalom. Peace upon him. Shol HaMelech is, a, is someone who's a whatever. Shol HaMelech. We know the sages say that Shol HaMelech was a bigger tzaddik than David HaMelech. He only had one sin. And Shol HaMelech sinned more than one sin. David HaMelech. He was forgiven and Shaul was not forgiven for whatever reason. But Shaul was, was an unbelievable tzaddik. So you can't say the Alter Rebbe is just throwing the words David HaMelech because he wants to give him respect. The Alter Rebbe suddenly is respecting King David and he's not respecting King Shaul. And then again, he mentions David a minute later and David is without HaMelech. And, and in Perik Zion in the Geras the Rebbe points out, Perik Zion, a few chapters earlier, he mentions over there David he says, in our generation, we don't have power, we don't have the koyach to, to fast. He says David Amelech, but he doesn't mention David Amelech all of Ashalom. So who would ask such klutzkaches? Only the Lubavitcher Rebbe would ask such klutzkaches. Come on, he's writing over here, right? No, no, no. The, the Rebbe's eyes, there's nothing that goes in. It seems like a silly question. But he knows that when the Alter Rebbe wrote something, every word adds explanation. So the Rebbe says, genius. Why does he want to over here? Why is he telling us the story of the Gibbonites? What is he trying to add? He wants to show how far you have to forgive. And that if you don't forgive, one thing you can say he's showing from there is if you don't forgive, you're not, you can, you're not even considered Jewish. It's a question on one's Jewishness. That's how serious. Another thing, you can say that he wants to show that even on, even on, even on, oh, so the, so but the main thing is, he wants to show that in this case, they were obligated to forgive even though the person who asked for the forgiveness was not the sinner. Someone else asked on behalf. Shola Melech was the one who killed them. The offender was Shola Melech, King Saul. The one who asked for forgiveness was who? Was David. Oh, and yet they were supposed to forgive. What do you mean you say? Let that guy come ask me for forgiveness. You're asking on his behalf, let him come alone. Not only that, he wasn't even alive then. He's asking forgiveness on behalf of someone who passed away already. Why do I have to forgive? He's not, he, the guy who hurt me didn't even apologize. So the Alter Rebbe wants to prove that even like that you have to forgive. Even if someone else is asking on their behalf. But why? But why Taka do you have to forgive? If this guy sinned, how can, how can someone else ask for forgiveness? That person has to come. The answer, that's why the Alter Rebbe says it was David HaMelech. David HaMelech. Why David HaMelech? Because we know that a king is the heart of all the people. So the king, the king in many ways is considered the entire nation. Because the king is the heart of the people. He is the people. The people are the king and the king are the people. That's what we know later in Tanya, he talks, he mentions every neshama has to come down in this world, it says, in many, many times to be recycled. Every neshama has to come down in this world in order to do all the mitzvahs. If we didn't do certain mitzvot, we have to come down again. Every neshama comes down. We, we've all been around the block many times. We, we started coming down a few thousand years ago. We come down again and again. 
So he says, and, and what happens if you're, if you're not a Kohen? You can't do mitzvahs of a Kohen. So in one of the times you come down, you're a Kohen. Every neshama comes down in every form to do all the mitzvahs. Says the Alter Rebbe asked the question, what's, with the, what's the mitzvah of a king? Certain mitzvahs are only applied to a king. And you can't say that every person comes down as a king. How many kings were there to the Jewish people to say that every Jew should come down as a king? So the Alter Rebbe says over there that Levad mitzvah samelech, the, a king you don't, the mitzvahs of the king you don't have to do because the king does them for everybody. Why? Because the king is like everybody. So now we understand why David was able to ask for forgiveness on behalf of Shaul. Because David is the king, and he's Motzik. All of, and it's interesting, even though Shaul HaMelech isn't alive anymore when David is king. Or when David asked for, for the forgiveness. But I guess David HaMelech was king of all the Jewish people, and even of the Neshamot that are not in this world. When you're king over the Jewish people, when the Rebbe is Rebbe, he's Rebbe for all Neshamas. He's Rebbe to Avram Avinu too. Ooh, a chiddish that's said by the Tanya Shir, by the Bergeres Hachuv Tanya Shir. Go out and say this. Ooh, 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 a new chiddish. Don't tell everybody, but it depends what you say. Some people be very happy with what I'm saying now. But some, that we say the Rebbe was Rebbe. Who's your Rebbe? Rabban Shal Yisrael. He's a Rebbe of all the, even of Avram Avinu. Why give out? Yes. Azayadas. Rebbe from all the Yidin of all the generations. Because the, the, the Melech is the Melech of the whole world, and he's the Melech even of Shalom Melech, who was before. That's why he emphasizes over here David Melech. Because this that he can ask forgiveness for Shaul, why is he able to ask for forgiveness for Shaul? Why is he able to ask for forgiveness for Shaul? Is because he's David HaMelech. Oh, well why does he say Allah Vashalem? Here the Rebbe's brilliance. He says like this, but you can still ask a simple question. Shaul and David didn't look eye to eye. They, they, the two were fighting all their lives. They were diametrically opposed to each other. And it wasn't a physical fight. It wasn't just fighting. They were, I, mean, I mean, it was really pretty nasty. Shaul was out to kill him. He wanted David HaMelech's blood. Pursuing him. And Atkadei Kach, the Gemara says that Shaul, that Shaul HaMelech was considered the biggest enemy to David. David had many enemies. He had a son of Shaul. But no one came close to the animosity that Shaul had against him. And we know. Not only that. We know that physically they were fighting with each other but the reason they were physically fighting to each other because their their style of serving God was completely different they had two different drachim so I mean their their physical fight was a derivative from their spiritual differences that they had Shaul HaMelech served God with his mind he was a Balsa he was an incredible mind he, his entire service of Hashem was based on reason that's why he he made reasoning, he made calculations. When, Shaul, when Shmuel Anavi told him to kill the animals, he said it would be better to be a korban. He always used his mind. He served Hashem based on his intellect. King David's foundation of serving Hashem was serving Hashem because God said so, with bittel. David HaMelech was a man of bittel, nullification, surrender. Shaul HaMelech was the epitome of perfection, understanding. Everything he did, he did with incredible knowledge. Shaul comes from Merchoyve Sanor. He comes from Bina, from a world of Bina of understanding. David is Malchus. Malchus is Bittel. Humility. David Akotten. Two different ways of serving Hashem. Since they were so different in their Neshamot and in their service of Hashem, how can David a Melech then be? See, even though he's a Melech, he's not really a Melech for him. Because he's, he's completely, he's not, they're not on the same, they're not on the same page. They're not on the same wavelength. So then how can he ask forgiveness for him? 
As we were saying, the reason he can ask forgiveness for him is because it's considered as if Shaul is asking. Because the king is asking, and the king is everybody. But Shaul, he's a king for everybody, not for Shaul, because Shaul wants to kill him. Shaul is in complete war with him. They're completely off. They're in a different, different, different wavelength. So how can he ask forgiveness for him? That's why the Rebbe says, when he says, Olav HaShalem, he doesn't mean Olav HaShalem. Olav HaShalem after that, because David HaMelech died. That's not Olav HaShalem. Olav HaShalem means upon him is peace. David HaMelech was never fighting with Shaul. Shaul was fighting with David. The Rebbe, the Rebbe is genius. The Rebbe says, Olav HaShalem and the Alter Rebbe's marumas over here. He doesn't mean Olav HaShalem like we say. He says a simple reason. If he would be saying Olav HaShalem because David HaMelech passed away, then why doesn't he say by Shaul, Olav HaShalem? More than that, when David asked for forgiveness, who was dead and who was alive? During this time that this story happened, when David was alive, David is not Olav HaShalem. And Shaul was Olav HaShalem. Boy, the Rebbe is the genius. The Rebbe is saying, at the time that this event happened, that David went to ask for forgiveness, who is Olav HaShalem? Today's days, they're both Olav HaShalem. When the Tanya was written, they were both Olav HaShalem because they were both deceased already. They were both on the, in Gan Eden. They were both up there already. But when the story happened, when Shaul HaMelech, when David went, who was alive and who was dead? Shaul was dead. I'm not dead. Shaul was passed away. It was Nifter already. So Shaul is already Olav HaShalem. And David is not Olav HaShalem. So if anything, he should have said Shaul HaMelech, Olav HaShalem, and not David. The answer is, when he's writing Olav HaShalem, he doesn't mean over here Olav HaShalem like you say when someone goes to Gan Eden, Olav HaShalem. He means Olav HaShalem that during his lifetime he was a man of peace in the sense that David never had a machlokas with Shaul. It was a one-way fight. Shaul hated David. David loved Shaul. David respected him. He honored him. He held of him. And there's a deep reason why it was that way. Someone who serves God based on intellect cannot stand someone who doesn't have intellect and is just serving Hashem because this is what you're supposed to do. A, 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 a lamdin, an understander, hates, can't stand a simple person. He doesn't like it. But the simple person who is simple and serves God, like David HaMelech, who served Hashem with, because, Hashem, because Hashem commanded him to do so, has no animosity to someone who is serving Hashem with Apiseichel. Because, because to someone who is to serving God with, with, with obedience, will serve Hashem with his mind as well. If God says, serve me with your mind, he will serve Hashem with his mind as well. In other words, it, serving God with the intellect is not a contradictory to a subservient person. It's a, serving God with subservience is a contradiction, is, is opposed to someone whose entire service is based on intellect and on reason. But someone who's serving Hashem with whatever you want. You want me to serve you like simple? I'll serve you simple. You want me to serve, you want me to serve you sophisticated? I'll serve you sophisticated. Whatever you want, Hashem. That's why David was not in a fight with Shaul, but Shaul was in a fight with David. And that's why when David HaMelech is king, who is he a king over? Even of Shaul. Because he's not in a fight with him. And therefore, all of Hashalem upon him is the peace. And that's the explanation why the Gavonim should have forgiven. That's the Altareb is adding a little spice over there. Why the Gibbonite should have forgiven when he asked for forgiveness? Because he was connected to him, and as a king, he can ask on his behalf. And yet they didn't forgive. And David Amalek went and, 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 he, and he excommunicated them. Okay. Um, anyways. Okay, now the Alter Rebbe continues and he says something gewaldic. 
According to what we just learned, even a human being is supposed to forgive. So God for sure forgives. If so, why are we saying that Hashem is such a great and awesome forgiver? That Hashem is such a great forgiver? If even human beings are supposed to forgive? And this that we praise and we thank Hashem. That God increases to forgive. That God is the one. Dafka Hashem. Oh, so the answer is why are we praising Hashem Dafka with this if even human beings have to? In Shmon Esrei, we make a special blessing. Thank you, God, because you keep on forgiving. You will forgive abundantly. Human beings are also supposed to forgive. So what's the big, what's the big praise about Hashem? So the Alter Rebbe says, Gavaldi. The answer is, Hamar Bedaika. The Chiddush about the Abishter is that the Abishter is Marbe. Marbe means that he forgives limitlessly. He forgives a lot, a lot, a lot. See, human beings, even though we expect a person to forgive someone if they, if they offended you and they assaulted you, you have to forgive them, but there's a limit. If the person keeps on assaulting you, every time you meet them in, in shul, they keep on offending you, you don't have to, you're not obligated to always forgive them. A person will forgive once, a person will forgive twice, a person will forgive three times. Boy, you're joking and kidding around with me, you keep on offending me and then keep on forgiving and it doesn't make any sense. A person has a limited capacity for forgiveness. We have a limited patience. We run out of it. After a while, we run out of forgiving juice. I've given you my forgiven juice, but how much juice do I have? I have a limited tank of forgiveness. You step on my toes so many times, I can't forgive anymore. Enough is enough. I've had it. Right? People say that. With God, there's no such a thing I've had it. He forgives once. He forgives twice. He forgives five times, ten times, a hundred times, two hundred times, a thousand times. Doesn't, there's, no, there's no limit. That's what we say, Hanun Hamar. So again, forgiving itself is not only a godly trait. Even a human being is supposed to forgive. A Jew is supposed to forgive. But we say, we say that we're praising Hashem is that He's Marbe, that He increases to forgive. Kamashakasav be Ezra. As it says in Ezra, that Hashem forgives a lot. Everybody learning Tanya would say, oh, we trust. It says in Ezra, the Rebbe learns Tanya, and he says, what do you mean it says in Ezra? There's no such a Pasuk in Ezra. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Why do I love it? Our Rebbe is Gavaldik. Yossi, where are you going, Yossi? What do I love? It says in Tanya that, like it says in Ezra, in the book of Ezra, so our Rebbe, the great-great-grandchild of the Tanya, says, what do you mean it says in Ezra, it doesn't say in Ezra, take out a book of Ezra, there's no such a pasuk. So what does he mean like it says in Ezra? So the Rebbe explains it doesn't mean that it says in Ezra literally but that in this, in you read the story of Ezra you see the concept over there that God is, is he, incre- he's, he forgives a lot. 
What do we see over there? It says in Ezra that the Jewish people came to Ezra and they said to him, Im yesh lanu mikveh. Do we still have hope? They asked Ezra, this is at the end of the second, at the Babylonian exile, right when they were ready to build the second base Amigdash. The Jewish people came to Ezra and they said, do we have mikveh? Mikveh not mean do we have a mikveh, but do we have the word mikveh, mikveh meaning do we have hope? Why? Because the Jews were, went and they all, and they had intermarried. Many of them married non-Jewish women. And they came to Ezra and they said, so Ezra said, Tenu hayda, yes, give a nedemitting, do vidoy, tenu hayda, admit that you sinned, confess, and you'll be forgiven. So we see from there that God is veravlus layach. What is so exceptional that we see over there? I mean, the only place we see that, we see that God forgave. God forgave. By Ezra, we see that God forgave. The people who married non-Jewish women. So God forgave. So what's the big deal? I mean, that's the only place in the Torah we find God. Moshe Rabbeinu keeps on asking God for forgiveness, and God forgave. How many times do we find that people were forgiven? I mean, why does he have to bring up the whole thing from Ezra? And where do you see in Ezra Veravlis Loya? The Rebbe says an interesting idea. Usually when people were forgiven, it's one of two things. Either we can find a community that was forgiven. Like the Jewish people were forgiven, they sinned on the eagle. A community is forgiven. Why is a community forgiven? Because a community has a certain power. Number one. Or, people were forgiven because a tzaddik begged for them. Moshe Rabbeinu pleaded for the, on the Jewish people's behalf. So there's two, there's, two, there's two things going for them. There are two pluses. Number one, a tzaddik has petitioned and begged for forgiveness. Number two, it's a community. But in the story of Ezra, when they married non-Jewish women, number one, no one, was, no one went to ask Hashem for forgiveness. There was no one there to plead on their behalf. Number two, the sin of marrying Jewish women is not a public sin that everybody did as a community. It's an individual sin that each of these people did. It's a private sin. It's not a communal sin. It's not like when they all bow down to the eagle. It's a community kind of a thing. It was a private or the sin of the spies. It was a communal thing. So everybody, the community needs forgiveness. This is a private issue. Yet without anybody, in, without anybody petitioning their behalf. And, and what's it called again? And uh, it's a private sin. Yet they were forgiven. Not only that, and this is the main point, the sin that they did over there is in many ways considered the biggest sin. Rambam writes that even though in terms of punishment, when a person marries a... Rambam writes that even though in terms of punishment, when a person marries or has relations with a Gentile woman, the sin is not, you don't get such a serious punishment like if someone has relations with, his, with a relative, with a sister, or with a married woman. If a man has relations with a Jewish married woman, the punishment is death. If a person has rela- relations with a non-Jewish woman, there's no death. Only a kanoi, a, 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 uh, a zealot, can kill him only at the time that he's doing the sin. 
Generally, there's no punishment by death. The Rambam says, but in many ways, this sin is worse than all the Arayas and the Torah. It's worse than everything, Rambam says. And the reason that is because the person is crossing the border between the Jewish people and the non-Jew. This is like the biggest violation. And Hasidus, it explains, because the power to procreate, the power of that is a holy power, it's in our neshama. And here you're taking it. Oh, and the Rambam, oh, and the Rambam says the reason is, I'll tell you what the Rambam says. The Rambam says because in all the Arayas, even if you're creating a mamzer, even if the child is an illegitimate child, but at least it's still Jewish. Here you're taking a, you're taking a power, you're taking a soul from Israel, from the Jewish people, and you're planting it into the klipa, and you're creating a non-Jewish child. And therefore you're forever disconnecting holiness and godliness and turning it into a klipa that can't return. Worse than any other sin. Taking chunks of the shechina, of holiness, and putting it into the Sitra Akhra without being able to take it back. So that's why it's the biggest sin. And that's why, and yet, when the people in Ezra came to Ezra and they claimed and they asked for forgiveness, Ezra said one thing, Tenu Haida, give confession, admit that you sinned, say sorry, and you'll be forgiven. So you see from there, that's what he means. Ezra, and I stated earlier, it doesn't say so and say for Ezra. The words Veravlis Layach doesn't say in Ezra. But from the content over there, you see that the Abishter is very forgiving. Very forgiving in, in every case, and even if it's a very big sin. That's why he uses the words Rav Lislayach. And the Rebbe learns that the word Rav Lislayach in Tanya over here is a Chiddush more than Chanun Hamar Belislayach. Chanun that God is a gracious king, that he forgives a lot. Marbe means he forgives a lot, quantitatively, a lot of sins. Rav means quality, a big sin. Rav means a lot, but Rav also can mean something big. For example, it says by Esav and Yaakov, Rav Yavoid Sa'ir, the older one will serve the younger one. Esav, who's the older one, will serve the younger one. So even though it says Rav, which means a lot, it means the one who has much. Esav, who's got much, will serve the younger one. So, so you see that Rav means qualitatively a lot. So when we're saying that Hashem is Ravless Layach, that we see Dafka from Sefer Ezra. Because over here it was a big sin. And as we said earlier, remember we said, there was no one pleading on their behalf. It wasn't like Moshe Rabbeinu or Tzaddik went to plead on their behalf. No one was there. It was also private individuals. It wasn't a community sin. It was each and them individually, and yet they were all forgiven. Why? Because they asked for forgiveness. So we see from here that Hashem both forgives many sins if we ask for forgiveness, no matter how many times it is repeated. And also He forgives even if those many sins that were repeated were very big sins. Doesn't make a difference. And that's what we're learning over here in Tanya. Awesome. This, is, this piece of Tanya we have to learn a thousand times and we have to teach it to every Jew alive. Every Jew needs to know this. I think this is one of the most important parakim, especially in our days. And he says like this, Sahainu. He says, but what's the Chiddush? What's the Chiddush? Tahainu, he says the Chiddush by the Abishter, Shebemidas basavadam, emidas of flesh and blood in a human being. Emiachta ishla ish, if a person sins against another individual, ubikesh memenu mechila, and you asked for forgiveness from a person, you apologize, and you ask, we said earlier, I have to forgive. Person has forgiven. 
And afterwards, the person goes back to the offense, to his old ways, and repeats the offense again. It becomes difficult to do it a second time, to forgive them a second time. They did something, they asked for forgiveness, and now it's, I, I told you not to do that. You, and then they go and they repeat it again. It's difficult. For sure, the third time, it's like, come on. Forget it. Four times, sorry. Three strikes and you're out. That's the way it is. We have no power. How much time is he going to forgive? But by Hashem, he's marvelous. How much? A thousand. How much? Two thousand. Doesn't make it. How many times a person sin? Every time you ask forgiveness, you're forgiven. But here the Rebbe is adding something very deep. Not only, and this is what this is the hardest things because we we project our limitations onto God, and it's the only reason why we don't. We're not tzaddikim right now. After Yom Kippur, we should all be tzaddikim. The reason why we're not tzaddikim right now after Yom Kippur is because we have we don't. Because we don't have this idea that he's explaining now in Tanya down pat. We don't have it deep inside of us. What is he saying? He's saying over here that God will forgive you a thousand times. Even if you did the same sin. A thousand times. And if you say apologize and you ask for it. And Yom Kippur, you mean it seriously. Everybody, every Jew means it seriously. Say, Hashem forgive me. Hashem forgives you. You'll say what? But come on. I stood here Yom Kippur last year and I said I'm not going to do it. And, and, I, and this year I did exactly what I said I'm going to do last year. See, God has a capacity to forgive much more than human beings. He'll forgive many times. But, but what's our thought? Can we compare this Yom Kippur to last Yom Kippur? Or can you compare your Yom Kippur today to Yom Kippur 15 years ago? When there was still, when, when, when at least in your own mind you thought that you're going to be a tzaddik the whole year. See, we're asking for forgiveness. We're innocent. When we're young, we're pretty innocent. When we get a little older, we start like doing the same sins again and again and again and again. At a certain point, so we're thinking, okay, the Abishter will forgive us, but he's a little more reluctant to forgive. And even when he forgives, it's like not with the same simcha, not with the same joy, and not with the same love, and not with the same affection. Because after all, we're wearing him down. We're wearing God's patience down. How much? Well, so even though if Hashem, like he can forgive a bunch of times, but each time it's a little less. The Alter Rebbe is saying no. Bemidas, meaning when Hashem forgives you, let's say you live to 300 years and you do the same sins every year and you come to Yom Kippur and you ask for forgiveness, every single time he forgives you, it's with the exact same love and the same exact same powerful forgiveness and with the same like openness like it was the first time. There is no difference. Why? Because let's see over here. By the of the This is a chiddush of the Alter Rebbe. There isn't a difference. Not stam the Ebeshter is marbe. He can do it a thousand times. He can forgive a, uh, a million times. No, ain't hefrish. There is no difference. Between palm echad between the first time, le'elef palm him to a thousand times. Kian he explains why. Kiyamachilo because the forgiveness. Forgiveness is from Hashem's midah of compassion. Midah of compassion. 
And the Ebrishter's Midas don't have a limit. The Ebrishter's Midas are infinite. As it says, His compassion doesn't end. There's no end to his compassion. And here is the clincher. And to, its, and, and to a being who is infinite, who is endless, who has no limitations, there isn't a difference at all between a small number to a large number. Because it's all not before him. To him a small number and a big number is exactly the same. And here is where we get stuck in mamish this piece of time. Because we can't fathom this. We cannot fathom that God's forgiveness to us now is with the exact same strength like it was years ago. We think that, okay, barely, I mean, come on, come on. Why? Let's understand that a little deeper. You see, Rabbeinu Bach, you see, when, when something has an end, anything that has an end, and we're used to living in things that have an end, the thing comes to an end, not at the end. It comes at the end already at the beginning. The wear and tear begins right at the beginning. Your car doesn't break down after 12, after 15 years. Your car begins breaking down as soon as it rolls off the, as soon as it rolls off the, the what is it called? The, the lot of the, or, or off the, off the, uh, what are they, they the, the, no, the, the, what do they call a, a, a the, the, uh, these machines that make the car so they go one after another. What is it called? The, the, the drive. Assembly the assembly line, yeah, yeah. As soon as it's off that and it starts driving, the first mile, it's, why? Rabbeinu Bachai says an interesting thing. On the Pasuk it says, um, The day of death, from the day of birth. So Rabbeinu Bachai says, A little baby, from his first day of his life, He's starting to dry up already. What does that mean? Let's understand that. When a baby, as soon as he's born, the first day of his life, he's already beginning to dry up. The body, he's beginning to die. Not such a happy thought, but that's the way it is. How do you know that? Simple. Makes simple sense. When a baby is born, the first day the baby is born, it has the capacity now to live to 120. 11 gesundheit, 120. When it becomes one year old, What's its capacity now to live? How many years? How much life does it have inside of it? How much power? What's its potential for life? 119? I'm saying, let's say, we would say 120 is mamish life. And then when it's five years old, even though it's a young child, strong and everything, but it's now ability to live, how much highest is only 115? And so as life goes on, it's wearing off. So what does that mean? That means that a person dies when they're 120? It means that right from the beginning, you're already losing in some degree that strength and that ability to life. You're wearing it out as it's wearing off. The same as in everything, light. You have a light. The lights over here are here. How far can these lights go? Oh, a certain distance. So what has happened? Does it mean if a light can go and shine light to, 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 to you know, 200 feet, does that mean that in the end of 200 feet, that's where it stops? No, the light closer to the source, the light is stronger. Further, 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 it gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. And finally, it comes to an end at the end, right, at that point. Or even a sound, when a person is talking. You stand next to the person speaking, you hear it louder. Further, 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 to the point, there's no sound anymore. 
that means it's wearing off from the beginning. Everything is that way. Smell, sound, right? It all, because it is all limited. It's all limited. So, the same is also with a person's forgiveness. When you come to someone and you, and you offended them, and you ask for forgiveness, forgive you. Do the same thing a second time. They'll forgive you. If they're nice, if they're kind, they'll forgive you. But the second forgiveness will not be in the same depth like the first forgiveness was. It wasn't with the same full-heartedness, with the same joy. Time you get, even if they're a very good person, I'm going to forgive you even six times, and then forget it after that, done. But even six times, each time it gets weaker and weaker and weaker. The Abishtus Rachamim is infinite and it's endless. So by God, there's no such a thing as it wears, it wears off. It's wearing out. So even after a million times sinning, and even if you did the same sin, and even if it's a big one, when Hashem forgives, He forgives completely. Oh, he's going to talk about that later. What does it mean, v'chatasi negdi samet? If it's already, if it's already, if it's already forgiven, we'll see about that soon. Avol, he says, elchein, and therefore, maver ashmoiseinu b'chol shana v'shana. The Eibushter forgives our sins every single year, and and even v'chol achatoyim shemisvadim ba'alchet, and all sins that a person does a vidui on alchet midei shana every year. Even if you did, you're, you're a repeat offender. Did the same sin again. Next Yom Kippur, you say the same alchet, the same list. And even if it's a sin that you've done last year and you ask for forgiveness, and God is not going to say, well, you promised me last year, why should I forgive you? Oh, come on, this is ridiculous. God says, listen here, you're already, you're already 45 years old. You've been telling me this already since you're 13, since you're bar mitzvah. Every year you come to me, you ask me, and you keep on doing the same thing. What do I mean? Want to make it a joke out of me? The Abishter doesn't say that. The Abishter forgives you completely. The same is always. And then the Alter Rebbe says, It's not even every year. Every single day. Gimel pa'amim v'varachim baruch ata Hashem chanan amar b'lesloyach. The Abishter forgives. How do we know that tefillah connected to midim to knuhu? That the tefillah was instituted in place of the karbonos, in place of the sacrifices. And we know that the daily sacrifices, the morning sacrifice, forgave, brought atonement for all the sins the people did the night before. And the afternoon sacrifice brought atonement for all the sins the people did during the day. And, that's, and since the davening is in the place of the carbon tamid, it's exactly that. When we ask for forgiveness, we're forgiven. On the sins of the day. So it's every day. If so, why do you need Yom Kippur? If we're forgiven every day? The answer is the daily atonement is for lesser sins. And Yom Kippur atonement is for the bigger sins. Yom Kippur is mechaper on the larger averis. Fine. Va'atomitu carbon oil and the tomit, which was a carbon oil, mechaper on mitzvah sasebel vad, is an atonement only on a positive. If a person failed to do a positive commandment, v'chein atfilah bezman azeh imat tshuva kaniskaliel, and the same is tshuva, tfila, davening in our days with tshuva forgives on 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 all on averis and on Yom Kippur you get atonement for every aver. 
Okay. So the Alter Rebbe says, so therefore why? How can a person not be besimcha? How can a person not be besimcha? This is all the reason how a person can be, on the one hand, brokenhearted, because you're doing tshuva for the sin, but then you, you're able to go into joy immediately because you know that if you ask for forgiveness, you are definitely forgiven. I'll ask a question, hold it. If I know that what? That I'm for sure going to be forgiven every year. So then doesn't this go into the category, not only every year, but every day, three times a day. So doesn't this go into the category where you say, a person will say, I will, the sages say, if a person says, I will, I will sin and I will do tshuva, I will sin and I will do tshuva, then they don't let him do tshuva. The person says, I'm going to sin, but I'm not afraid of the sin because I'm going to do tshuva afterwards. So they say that if a person does that, so now based on this whole thing, that we're constantly forgiven every day. Now obviously, when I'm standing in Kippur, let's be honest, you apologize, you feel bad, but you know, and right now, you really, really would like never to sin again. But you know that you're going to go away from that consciousness. No, no one is kidding anybody. You know yourself that you're not going to be in Yom Kippur and in Yom Kippur holiness all year long. You're going to slowly... Time you get like four weeks after Yom Kippur, four, even earlier, I'm talking about like by the time you're getting four or five weeks, six weeks, into one Aver, into another Aver, one Aver pulls another big Aver, you're back. And you know that I'm Yom Kippur. You know because you know what Chazal say, Yitzray shal Adam is gaber Allah b'chol yayim. The Yitzhahara will, will, will do, he takes a rest on Yom Kippur, but he's going to come back with a vengeance after Yom Kippur. You know that. But yet, today you mean it sincerely, and you're asking Hashem, I really don't want to do this. It bothers me very much, please forgive me. The Rebbe says God forgives you completely. You are forgiven. Forgiven, forgiven. Hold on, we are forgiven. You want a limit. He want, the Rebbe is trying to open up and making it very broad, right? You don't want to limit what he's saying. He wants to let everybody in. The problem, however, is, isn't this considered, I will do tshuva, I will sin, and I will do tshuva. I will sin and I will do tshuva. And if a person says that, they're not given opportunity to do tshuva. So he says, ze'echta but this is not considered, I will sin and I will do tshuva. Because what, what, what is that talking about? This is talking about a particular case. When, this, when, you're, when you have the temptation, you're sitting there, you have the ability to control your Yetzirah. You're sitting there, and you're actually calculating. You're sitting there. You say, you know what, I, I'm not going to do this. It's too costly. This is going to wreck my soul. I don't want to do this. This is going to disconnect me from God. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do this. You come to a resolve, I'm not doing it. I can't afford to do this. And then you think to yourself, what do you mean I can't afford to do this? I'm going to daven mincha in half an hour. I'm going to say slach lanu. I'm going to ask for forgiveness. I'm going to do tshuva. I'm going to be forgiven. So I might as well go have a good time now. And then mincha time, I'm going to get forgiveness. Ooh. Then you're taking the tshuva calculation into account to assist you in the sin. In other words, you're relying on the tshuva. Bashas, you're going to sin. You're making a cheshben that the reason I'm going to sin is because I know I can do tshuva afterwards and I will be forgiven. Then, the person is relying on the tshuva. Therefore, so then, then we say, and the Altarab explains reason why. Since the tshuva was causing the person to sin, then they don't, that's when we say, 
That you can't simply it means you can't do tshuva. But even that, but in our case, it's not the case. Because a person, since when you're davening Shemayin Esrei, you sincerely want, don't want to sin. If you're davening with Kavana, you really don't want, and the Altarab is going to prove it. Right before we say Slach we ask God, please help me do Tshuva. I don't like this. I don't want to. And then I'm saying, forgive, then I'm asking forgiveness. It's not like I'm sitting there vicious, schemingly thinking when I'm sinning. That I'm that I'm gonna that I'm gonna do that I'm gonna do tshuva later. That's not what we're talking about. But even but before that, even the guy who does take, even the person who does use the tshuva as a mechanism to sin, as a, as an as an assistance to sin, even that doesn't mean even that person can do tshuva. Because the sages don't say. They don't accept this tshuva. The sages say, which means they don't, they don't help him or they don't afford him the possibility to do tshuva. They, and maybe even they'll distract him. They're not helping him. But if the person suddenly realized that he is one of the people of and he says, no way, Jose, that this is going to happen. No way they're not going to help me. I'm going to fight my way no matter what. I'm going to do tshuva. Then of course this person can also do tshuva. As he says, They don't help him. But if a person pushes his way, and he prevails, and he, and he, I'm sorry, and he strengthens himself, and he prevails over his yetzahara, and he does tshuva, then even he is accepted in tshuva. So that's just a side note, parenthetically, the Alter Rebbe says. Even Echter the Yashiv doesn't mean that they close and they lock the door. It just means that it's going to be harder because he's going to have to really push his way. He doesn't usually get the assistance that a regular person gets. A regular person, if he only wants to do tshuva, Hashem helps him. But if someone uses the tshuva to sin, that person, the Ebershter, doesn't help. Okay, you got to do it on your own. If you can do it. But in our case, the Rebbe says it's Bechlal not... This is not even a case of echta v'yashiv. Avel anu, but we, it includes all of us. The Alter Rebbe says, all of us. Shemavakshem b'chol yoyim slach lanu. We request every day, slach lanu, forgive us. That's, we're asking for forgiveness. Anu makadim, and we preface it by first saying, levakesh v'achzireinu b'shuva shalema. Return us to a complete shuva. What does a complete shuva mean? That we should never come back to the sin again. We want the Abraham. Now, it's, I know that what? That maybe I'm not, in a few hours from now, I'm not going to be in this state of mind. I'm going to, I might be very lost. I might be in a very dark place. And I might do an Avera. But right now, asking, I'm asking you, Abishter, please help me do tshuva. I don't like this. Restore me to you and then forgive me. I bring Mashiach now so I don't have a problem anymore. I should not turn to the stupidity anymore. And on Yom Kippur we also request, let it be the will before you, I should not sin again. We, keep, we said this on Yom Kippur. Then, not only do they help, they help and they help. If you come to purify yourself, you get assistance. And the point over here is, doesn't even say, that, you know, as soon as you come, 
You're just, you're just seeking. You're just coming to shul. You're coming. You're opening up at the hillim. You're making a somewhat of an effort. Habo, you're just coming. Daika. Miyacheba. As soon as a person comes, the they help him immediately. The ilazais, and therefore, gamaslicha he miyad. So Hashem, therefore, since the forgiveness is immediately. So we should never be hard on ourselves in this sense. We know that when we say sorry, God forgives us. And we have new chances every day. Every day. We do tshuva and we mean sincerely. We're asking Hashem, I really don't want to do this again. I'm trying my best. Please help me. Help me do tshuva. The Abishta forgives. If so, Amasha, because of your question, David HaMelech says, V'chatasi negdi tamid. That my sin is always in front of me. The Alter Rebbe says that what? That a person should have tziruf and bitachin that the Ebeshter has for, for sure forgiven him. So why does David HaMelech say, David HaMelech was doing tshuva for his sin for such a long time. So why does he say, and what does he say to God? He says, he says in Tehillim, he says, my sin is always in front of me. Doesn't he know what it says in Tanya over here, David HaMelech? That God has for sure forgiven him? What does he say? I always have the sin he says, I always remember my sin. I don't forget it ever. And he says, this intention is not does not mean that a person should always be sad. And we would think that we're supposed to learn from this, that we're supposed to always bear our sin in front of us. He says, it doesn't mean that you keep the sin close by next to you in your heart to the point that you become saddened and shamed shamed with yourself. Nivza means embarrassed with yourself. Chas v'shalom, that you say you feel like full of guilt and full of whatever. That's not what it means. He says it proves it from the very same Pasuk where David HaMelech says v'chatasi negdi samin. In the same parak where David says v'chatasi negdi samin in chapter 51 in Tehillim, David HaMelech also says tashmi'eni sasim v'simcha, make me be b'simcha. If, he, if David HaMelech knows that he's always going to hold on to a sin, and if holding on to sin means that you have to be sad, how can David HaMelech in the same breath say, make me be besimcha, make me be happy. Or if I'm going to be, be happy, I'm, then I'm not going to be chatasi negdi samid, which negdi means I have to hold the sin on and be sad about it. So that would be a total contradiction. Oh, so, oh, no, 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 you're right. That for sure. But hold it. Then for sure, but hold it. Hold it. Then for sure, there wouldn't be a kasha here at all. Then David HaMelech is just struggling. He, he, he's taking the Khatasi Negdi Summit as a merit, as something that we ought to strive for. That's a lesson. That's a lesson. That David HaMelech says, Khatasi Negdi Summit. If you're learning the way you're learning, is not a kasha. David HaMelech wants to get rid of it. He couldn't. So he's asking the Abish to please help me out of it. So, but the Alter Rebbe is learning that L'chayr, if David HaMelech said so, David HaMelech is a tzaddik, he's doing the right thing, that means it's a good thing to have a chatas In other words, that, that is a, a, a virtue, to have chatas yinegdisam. That he says, so you have to say that, and that you can't say, he's asking, that means he wants for chatas yinegdisam, and at the same time, tashmiyayni sasimism. So there he's proving that the chatasi negdi summit, the sin always being in front of me, does not mean in front of me that it makes me sad. It means that he has it hanging in his, in his house as a picture on one of the walls. He has it framed, it's hanging over there. Why? When he needs to, he can go in and look at it. He keeps it somewhere in his conscious, in the back of his mind he keeps his sin. Why? It will be necessary. When will it be necessary? When he encounters suffering. 
and he's wondering, why me? Why is God doing this to me? David HaMelech was always able to go back and say, you know what, I deserve it because of that. In other words, he bears it in the back of his consciousness. There is a sin still. There's something that I need atonement for. In other words, not that he walks around heavy, burdened, guilt-ridden. He knew he did tshuva. He was close against Hashem. He was besimcha rabba. But he has a lingering memory, and his Alter Rebbe says it's very good for a person to always have that, because or else a person can become smug. I'm a bal tshuva. And I'm already higher than everybody else. Bal tshuva. And that is a very dangerous place to be in. So a person should never, should always have that. And also, if other people hurt him or insult him or make fun of him, shouldn't feel like, like, well, they offended who knows who. Because you know that, you know what, you have, you have, you have your baggage in the... Because it says right after that, Let me hear joy and is, is gladness and simcha and joy. And a spirit of graciousness or support me with. A spirit of nobility. Um, support me with, which is, a, which is a good spirit. And he says another reason. You can't mean that he has to be sad all the time because Mishum is Kol Yamav A person has to be all this. It says, it says Chazal say a person should be Kol Yamav B'tshuva. What kind of Tshuva are we talking about? Not Tshuva Tata, not the lower Tshuva. Kol Yamav B'tshuva means Kol Yamav B'tshuva the higher Tshuva. And Tshuva as we learned earlier in Tanya, is Dafka B'simcha, is with joy. Kol Yamav B'tshuva Ilah, Shuhi B'simcha Rabbah, because Tshuva means cleaving to God, and cleaving to God is B'simcha. Canal. He says the word negdi needs to be defined. Negdi means, can mean close to me, opposite me, close to me, and negdi can mean also at a distance. He says when it says negdi over here, it means at a distance. It says, And you should stand me neged, which over there it says in Shmuel, over there it means at a distance. Another pasuk. And, Chaza, and Rashi says, Mei Rachaik. Upirish Rashi, Mei Rachaik. And it says that the Jewish people should, should camp around Mineged, the, the, the Levium and Moshe, should camp Mineged, it means at a thousand cubits away. Mineged, Rashi says, means Mei Rachaik. So you see, Negdi doesn't mean here. It means you have it, you have it in the back of your con. So it, you know, if you say, Chatasi Negdi, it means it's within my, I haven't forgotten it, but it doesn't mean I think about it all day long to point that it should bring me down. That's not what it means. But if, I, if, if, if I'm not using it to bring me down, because I don't want that, I want to keep it at a distance, what benefit do I have from keeping it at a distance? So he says, and what's the intention? A person's heart should not become elevated and exalted, and he should feel himself above others. And in order for a person to be able to be humble in front of every human being. When a person will always remember, when he'll have in his memory, that I've sinned against God. Who am I to feel higher than any person when I'm a sinner against Hashem? And quite on the contrary, the Rebbe says an amazing thing. Not only if you keep the sin in the back of your mind, sins of your youth, sins of a long time ago, if you keep it not only is it not supposed to lead you to sadness, quite on the contrary, not only isn't it an interference to the joy, it's actually a, an assistance in being besimcha. Why? Why if you care this? 
Because sometimes when life gets tough and life gets hard, if a person sees him, his or herself as a perfectly righteous person, so you can feel a little bit, what do you call it, in, 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 in the, indig, is a word, indignated? In, in, no, there's a word where your person feels, I forgot the word, it's an English word, which I, indignated in, and when you feel like you have been wrong, you're being mistreated, you're not being treated the way rightly, fairly, feel cheated. Sometimes a person, people feel, you know, why is this coming to me? I didn't, what did I do in my life already that I should deserve this pain or this suffering? And that can crush a person. But if a person knows that they have certain things that, they, even if they get a clap and they get a bang, they're able to like, oh yeah, I know, I deserve that, and I got it, and that's it. Now I can go further. I don't have to feel so, huh, like who knows what happened to me. If a person is walking on the street and someone, suddenly someone comes over to him and gives him a patch in the face, he can't. For a few weeks later, the guy can't come to himself. A slap me in the middle of the face. But what happens if he goes to a protest and he's standing there in front of the police and they're, ah, there's a big fight and he's shoving and he gets his ass. So he might hurt him. The pain is the same, but he doesn't feel so. He knows. He went into the mob. L'chatchile went there. He's going to get his ass. That's what's going to happen. So if you have in your mind, if you think you're a tzaddik and you don't deserve anything, uh, so then when you get a zetz, you're like, whoa, it's completely become completely discombobulated. But if you know that I've sinned and I have things that I need a tikkun for. Now, but let's understand something. This is only to ourselves. God forbid that we have that feeling when someone else suffers. So, oh, well, they probably suffered because they sinned. That's not a cheshbin on someone else. On someone else, we have to have compassion and pity and we're supposed to cry out to Hashem, they don't deserve it. Why is that happening to them? When it comes to ourselves, we're supposed to be makabal be yusurim and accept it and say, it's because, because of something I've done wrong. The other rabbi says, Le'inyan asimcha for joy, yoyel, it will actually help. Zichroi nachet, remembering the sin, b'yasr se'es, with added intensity, b'chdei le'kabal b'simcha, in order to be able to accept with joy, kol ha'morois, all occurrences, Hamasrakshois that stir up Ubois and that happen, Bayman Ashamayim, whether an occurrence that happens from God. A person suffers a loss financially or something that he can't blame any human being. It came from Hashem. A natural fire or something, or Hashem, anything. Or an illness that comes from God. Or or whether when another human being insulted him, Bedibor, someone insulted him in speech, or Bemaisa, or someone physically hurt them. If you have, bear in mind, a person bears in mind that I'm not such a tzaddik and I've done certain things in my life that I deserve this, and you don't feel so bad about it. And then the Altarebbe adds, this is a good, this is a good etza, this is good advice to save oneself from getting angry. From, why? Because if, if every time a person gets, gets insulted, offended, hurt, they right away think, oh, you know what, this is coming to me. This is coming to me. I deserve this. So you don't get so angry at that person. Why should you be angry at them? This is coming to me. I need this. The chomin of kapeda, or having bearing any grudge against anybody. Even though it's none of that bad person's business to be God's agent to deliver the, the thing, but that's, that's, that's between them and Hashem. That's not, it's not between me. As long as I know I got what I deserved. So what am I so upset about? People that are shamed and they don't shame back. People that get insulted, but they don't insult back. 
or shaymim cherpasam, or even a deeper level. They hear their their cherpa, their their their. Uh, what's the way you translate cherpa? They hear their. It's like shame, something like that. Ve'ena mashivim, they don't even answer. The first guy answers but doesn't insult back. This person doesn't even answer. It's quiet. And even deeper than that, they do with love, which means they accept it with love. They accept the suffering. Not only don't they answer, but your person sometimes doesn't answer. They were insulted, they don't answer, but they walk around doing the blues in the whole day. You know, all completely. They accept it with love. And they rejoice in suffering. On them it says, the Pasuk says, they're going to be like the sun coming out during the time of Mashiach, when the sun comes out of a chief, they're going to receive the biggest, the biggest light. And we also know that anybody that is, that is, which means someone that looks away on his honor, someone who is, um, I don't know how to translate, someone who is um, forgiving, you're, you're, you know, you're, they forgive him all his sins. So the Alter Rebbe says, so that's why it helps keeping the old sins in a person's memory, just to be in the back of your head. So that you're able to, because we said earlier, if you, know, if you feel that you're such a tzaddik and you're, you're perfect, you did tshuva already and everything, and everything is atoned and everything is forgiven, so any kind of suffering, like why? Like this. You have something to make a person know that, you know, I'm now going to finish very quickly. This is Perikud Aleph. But I want to finish already the Tanya. So we're going to do the next Perik literally in 15 minutes so that we can done Agaris Achuva. I don't, want to, I don't want to have to do this next week because I want to start a Maimer on Lech Lecha. Perikud Beis. I mean, again, I'm, I'm really doing this quickly. The Tam Asimcha. It's a very short Perik. It's a very short chapter. The Tam Asimcha B'Yesure Yaguf. See, the Alter Rebbe just said that a person should not only sh- when you bear and you have in your memory your sin, so not only don't you get crushed by if you get a little suffering, you actually can be besimcha. It can be besimcha, it, it, meaning it doesn't crush you. But then but why should you be besimcha? Why should it add joy? Why should a person be happy? He says, the, the, the memory, because if you remember your sin and now you're getting suffering, you actually get happy because of the suffering. Because you know you just paid a bill. You're just paying off. You have this big, big, you know, every time it hurts. Every time we're able to pay down, we make a little money, we can pay down our debt. It feels really good. They they paid it up. So when a person knows that they have debt and they have what they owe God, and if you have any kind of suffering in this world, it's huge. And he's going to explain now that a tiny, why should you be so besimcha? Because if you got a patch, it hurts. The answer is, any little bit of pain in this world equals a ton of pain in the world to come. In other words, the good part of being down here is that we can pay up with a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what, of what we need to pay up up there if we didn't pay up with it down here. In other words, the suffering in the world to come is, is in, incomprehensibly, unmeasurably bigger. So when a person does a little suffering here, a little migraine headache, a little stub on your toe, on an ingrown toenail, a little insult, a little frustration, a little pain, the purification of the soul that happens down here through the little bit of cleansing 
is equal a lot, uh, immeasurable pain. In other words, to clean yourself that much after the neshama goes out of the body would take um, 500 years of suffering. What a person can do down here in a, in a half an hour of suffering. Why? Because everything in this world is very, very potent. This world, tiny little things over here equal huge things in the spiritual world. As he says, because pain and suffering, that's why every time a person gets any kind of suffering, you go, yeah! Because you feel like, I've, I've, just, I've just saved myself, who knows what. Um, it's a very good toiva. It's a very good thing, and it's very, very, to a sinful soul. Because it scrubs the soul in this world, and it saves the person, mahamiruk pigehenum from having to be scrubbed in Gehenna. Especially in our generations, that we don't have the koyach to fast. Every sin, even after you, God forgives you, there's still certain blemishes. You're forgiven between you and Hashem. Hashem loves you like before, but you still have a blemish in your soul. Even though Hashem is not far from you, He's very close to you, loves you. There's still a blemish. And you need a tikkun. So in the olden days, they used to fast. The Arizal had all these fasts. But now in generations, people don't have the koyach to fast. And also, they didn't sin. They 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 sinned once or twice a lifetime, so they can fast it off. We, when we do sin so repetitively, and also we don't have the we don't have enough days to fast. Even even if we wanted to fast, we don't have enough days in our life to fast all the fast that we would need to fast. Like in, in the Perik, in the beginning of Agaris Tshuva, he explains that for anger, every time you get angry, um, for anger, here listen to this one. He said. hundred and fifty-one fast days for every time you get angry. <laughs> there you go. Just got angry. Oh my, now I have to fast hundred and fifty-one fast days for every time you lose your temper. And when you say angry, what is angry? People have a new word for angry. Instead of saying I'm angry, say I'm nervous. Nervous is angry. That's what it is. So, so, so hundred and fifty-one fasts. Every time you snap at your husband or at your wife, vice versa, works that way. Or, or, or anything. So the sins are, so different. in our generations, but we don't have koach to fast, we need to have the help from above to clean. Because we can't clean it on our own. According to the number of fasts, that is written in the, in the tikkunim of tshuva, that are needed to scrub the soul, to save the soul, from being scorched in Gehenna. So Nachmanadi says, in his, in his preface, in his preface to the Pirish of Job, who is the person who suffered more than anybody else? Job, Eov. So the Ramban, Achmanides, in his Agdama says over there, that even if a person was to have Job's, Eov suffering for 70 years. Eov didn't suffer 70 years. He had terrible suffering for a certain period in his life, not 70 years. But Ramban says if a person was to be, live in continuous, perpetual suffering for, a, for 70 years, an entire lifetime of suffering equal to the way Eov suffered, it can't compare to the pain of the soul even one hour in Gehenim even one hour 
one hour in Gehenim, the suffering is worse than living in the worst kind of emotional, physical pain that Eov lived in for 70 years. Why? Simply because the body, the body is very, very limiting. Our capacity for pain while we're in the body is very limited. There's only so much we can feel. They torture a person and they give him too much pain, the person dies. He can't handle so much pain. And the same is also pleasure. There's only a certain amount of pleasure you can handle. After that, you can't handle it. There's a certain, there's a, there's a, a like a volume on a, 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 on a computer or on a tape recorder or anything, on a CD player. You push the volume up to 10, that's the highest it goes. It can't go any higher than that. The human body has a certain limited, a certain range of feelings that it can feel, both happy, uh, happiness, pleasure, and pain. So this when the body are limited. When outside of a body, the soul is not limited. It's pain, and there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to escape. Over here, you can think you're going to run away from the body. You'll escape it. But over there, there's nowhere to go. That's it. The soul, it's not, it's not trapped in anything. It's just pure soul without anything. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. It's interesting. There were souls that we find throughout history ran away from the pain, and they jumped into bodies. Why? Because in a body, it's, 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 ta it's tolerable. Outside of a body, it's not tolerable. So therefore, it's a very big favor for the soul to get a little bit suffering in this world. Um, because the fires of hell are 60 times hotter than the fires of earth. It doesn't mean physical fire, whatever hell means, but the emotional and pain that's there is worse. It's unbearable. Why, why is it? They didn't explain. He just says the fact. In this world, things are much easier than in the world to come. Why is it that you can then pay up? According to that, it doesn't make any sense. According to this, if it's really that case, that, that, the feel, that, that the experiences of this world are so minute in compared to the experience of that world, so if, it, if really for a sin, the soul deserves so much pounds, so much, so much ounces of suffering, let's imagine just the so much suffering, such a measure of suffering, how can it get away by suffering down here a little bit? Then it should be, then the soul, chas v'shalom, would have to live for, you know, a few thousand years in this world in pain in order to make up for one, for one year in Gehenna. How can we do the opposite? That over here, a little bit of suffering and it equals so much. And the answer is because the rules and regulations of this world operate completely different than the rules and regulations of the upper worlds. Those worlds are based and they're built on stern judgment. Our world is based on kindness. And from the measure of kindness, a little bit of pain, you get away with it. It's like going in front of a kind judge. The same crime, two people did the same criminal. This guy got 20 years behind bars, and this guy got a slap on the shoulder. He went for a week into jail, then he got a house arrest for, for, for another for a month, and that's it. And then Nebuch, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Shalom... Uh, Shalom Mordechai ben Rivka, Halevi Rabashkin, ended up with this machshefa of a judge. And for, for things that other people did, got maybe a year in jail, maybe, he's, he's, he's sitting for 27 years. Right? So, so you see that depends who's executing the judgment. So it's a different rule. Things run differently in this world than in the higher spheres. Shem should help him. Uh, because this world is built on chesed. And therefore, our world, this is the Oilam Chesed Yibana goes on this world, the physical world. Will be Yisurim Kalim Ba'olam Azeh, and with light suffering in this world, Nitzel, a person is saved, Medinim Kashim, 
from very harsh suffering, shall olam above the world to come. And he gives an interesting example. Down here below, when the sunlight moves and the shade, sun and shade, moves just a hand breath. Okay? Three o'clock in the afternoon, the shade is over here. Two o'clock it was over here, three o'clock it's over here. It moved a little bit, or a half an hour later, because the sun is moving. So it moves a tiny bit. Down here, the sunlight moved a little bit. But up in its source, how far did the sun move during this hour? What? What do you mean? Everything is moving. The earth. No, but the sun is moving at its incredible speeds. Thousands of millions of miles, um, uh, thousands of miles per second. What's the speed of the sun? It's hurtling through the sky. But over here, it moved a tiny bit. That's what he's saying. A thousandth mil, and down here it moves a little bit. So that's his muscle that things can be huge up there and down here. The Yasser al what really, really, really is, the Yasser al Kain, the Enkates, Hubenimshal. See, see, here's the thing. When a, the, 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 the thing about this world is, this world, on the one hand, is the most nether of all worlds. It's the last, last, last. It has the. It's the, most, it's the most limited and most limited. But the other thing is that it has a deposit of all worlds. All of existence is deposited down here. Everything. It's, it's all, this is the only place that has everything in it. It's a concentrate of everything. And therefore, whatever we do over here affects all of existence. All, all worlds, all spiritual worlds. But over here, the tiny little things that are happening... In the upper worlds, it's huge, 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 huge. It's an example, if you take an atom, if you take a, a, a plant, and you make tiny little changes in its molecular um, thing, if you make a small little change in the, in, the, in the structure of the molecules, in a plant, in a seed, and you plant it, you're gonna have a complete different plant. It's gonna grow out completely different, even though it's such a tiny little change in its source. Or if you're having a, a, a huge beam of light, huge beam of light, and you're moving that beam, the beam is shining this way, and you move it just two inches this way, and the beam goes, let's say, hundreds of thousands of miles, how far is that beam gonna change when it's, it's completely, because over here it's moved the top over there. That's what our world is. Over here, tiny little things we move, but we move huge things up there. So if the neshama does a tikkun for its sins down here, it can do it with just a tiny little suffering, it can clean everything. Once it goes up there, everything is ginormous. And to clean even a little bit takes so much time and so much pain and so much suffering. So if a person goes through any kind of suffering in this world, it's not that we're supposed to pray for suffering and it's not supposed to we'll look for suffering, because on the other hand, even though suffering is good for us, it also can be the opposite because when we get suffering it can disturb us from doing mitzvot and from doing good things so it has its pros and it has its cons pros is that it cleans us so we're not supposed to look for it but if God gives it to us already we're supposed to accept it with joy but that's only when if a person has something to clean if a person has nothing to clean he feels he's innocent then why did he get it? 
So that's why it helps if we remember that I sinned and I never forget that I did Averis, even if I did Shuvah already. If I bear that there might still be a blemish and I need this cleansing. And Hashem is probably doing deep cleansing. Meaning on the surface I'm clean already, but deep, 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 maybe in some very deep place in my neshama, there is still something there that if I wanted to clean that up there, and why is it so important to be clean? Why does Hashem have to clean it? And why don't the Gehenim have to clean it? It's not God forbid punishment. God wants to give us ultimate bliss and closeness to Him. And when a person's neshama is coarsened and dirty, it cannot experience that, that joy. It interferes. interferes. Imagine if the Alter Rebbe would walk into the room now. And the Alter Rebbe would say, say Hasidus. So people who come here Thursday night would be in and Hasidim, we would be there. But go to people who don't have any chush in Hasidus and in feeling. And you bring them over here, they could be in the room hearing the Alter Rebbe say Hasidus and what? And for them it would be painful, be miserable. People that are ADD, they'd rather sit and play on their games and stuff because they, have no, they can't relate to it. So a person needs to be able to enter into it. So the Abishta wants to give us the greatest bliss, but if we're coarsened, and then we, then, we, then we can't relate to it. So we need that purification to cleanse and purify and to take away the coarseness so that, so, that, so that it can give, so that it can give the person the pleasure that, the per, that he wants to give. They tell a story of a person who was a coachman. He was a very, very coarse, vulgar person, very lowly person. Never did anything good in his life. He was a total, like, just a... Very. One time he saved a group of people from tumbling off a cliff and he did it with Mesiras Nefesh. Literally he jumped off and he almost died himself and he managed to save this entire wagon. And maybe he even died. I don't know. He saved this. And his neshama came to Gan Eden. And they said, listen, it doesn't have any merits but if you save one human being it's like you save the entire world. And this guy saved six, a wagon of six people to give him all the mahaba. So they said, they're going to give him all the mahaba, but he didn't know what to give him. So they asked him, what would you like? So he says he wants, they should give him, this is, they should give him, make him a beautiful wagon, good wheels, and he could exactly what kind of wheels he wants. Give him like four good white horses, and he should have a very clean, smooth road, and gave him a whip, and that's what he's doing. This person is riding his wagon, through on a road on an endless road with his full of this and that's what he's doing they have to reward him but that's that's all that's all he can relate to so that's why we talk about zichuch and the shaman needs to go through a zichuch so that it can have a refinement and appreciation of something deeper and higher suffering gives us that purification that humility that cleansing so i'm mean, going to rather do the suffering down here than chas v'shalom have to do the suffering up there the Yasser al he says, but it's even more. See, the difference between us and the sun, he says, is a measured distance. With the progression of worlds, could you imagine the difference between the sun and the shade is only from two planets or two, two um, what do you call it? Two uh, spheres in, in, in the physical, in, in our solar system. The sun and but imagine 
the distance when there is between the higher worlds outside of our world and higher worlds and higher worlds and higher worlds, how magnified something tiny down here, how huge and, infin and infinitely big it's in the higher realms. And the higher you go, the more, um, what's the word you say? The more, um, when something multiplies endlessly, what's the word? The more exponential. exponential, the more exponential it becomes, the effects of it. And to, as it's known, as it says in the Zohar, and that's what we also find in everything in Yiddishkeit, that all the worlds have an elevation from the tiniest little things we do down here. Mitzvahs, we do a little mitzvah down here and we bring blessing into all, in all realms. Besarusa de Latata, in the arousal from below, Bakravas Oif Echad, when we offer one bird, Ben Yona, a young, young little dove, a little pigeon, <laughs> a guy standing in the base of English offering a little pigeon, and it caused all the cosmos, all the worlds to be elevated. So you see how, because in this world nothing is small. Or even just a koimetz, even a handful of a meal offering. And so it is in all the mitzvahs. It is known from the Arizal. That's why the sages say, You should make yourself holy and you will be holy. A person sanctifies himself a little bit down here. They, they make you very holy above, meaning in your neshama above, it's receiving a ton of kedusha. You don't feel it, but your neshama is receiving a ton of kedusha up there. Even though down here in the body, you're just doing a little bit holiness. Especially here, it's even higher than we spoke earlier. Earlier, we spoke about the olamos, about the worlds. Here, we're talking about even what's transcending beyond all worlds, the soviv kalam. That's what we're tapping in a mitzvah, so we can understand how the tiniest little mitzvah that we do down here has massive and endless repercussions in the higher realms. And the same is also reward and punishment. That this world can't facilitate the reward, therefore a little, therefore the, the, the punishment a little bit down here is huge up there. To the point that you can't give reward for a mitzvah, only another mitzvah, because this world is not enough. Now the Alter Rebbe concludes, it is knowledge, lenovin to a thought person, nekel is easy. In other words, if you're wise and intelligent, the one that's going to think a lot about what I'm saying, will find good. In other words, what is he saying in the end? He's concluding and he says that what? That he's concluding and he says that even though I taught this all this parakam and tanya, I just gave you general ideas. And everybody's got to be able to apply these concepts into their own avoda and how do they relate to their own tshuva. But these are the general, the general concepts that a person needs to know for tshuva. This is the conclusion of the Alter Rebbe's Egeris HaTshuva, Mazel Tov and Mazel Tov. And may Hashem bring that all, all of us should do tshuva and all of us should be completely forgiven for anything that we've ever done. L'chaim, l'chaim. Ah.